the new stealth bomber. Yes. Is uh, out and it's pretty cool. Yes, it is. And of course, we know about that because of our military procurement portfolio. But I got a kick out of a lot of people were saying things like, oh, we need to have that because the Chinese military and they have so many uh, nuclear weapons and, oh, we're so far behind and we can't win a war with China. Like, Not true. Not at yeah. all. I'm getting sick of this. I really, I really yeah. am getting sick of this. It's just propaganda. I mean, since the end of the Cold War, there's been a, I don't know if it's conscious or uh, whatever, but you've got the, let's call them the second-rate powers, Russia and China in particular, and they have done a good job of propaganda, and the U.S. has been has done a very good job of propaganda of making us look less capable than we actually are, which I don't think is a bad thing, because as Russia has figured out, NATO can dump 5% of their annual spending into helping an ally, and it can literally destroy everything that they have, uh, or let's say destroy their, their prime fighting force in a couple months with uh, basically hand-me-downs and leftovers from the Cold War. So, Well, in this podcast, this is the Paul Truesdell podcast, Two Pauls in a Pod. I'm Paul Truesdell, and joining me is none other than... I don't know. What is my name again? I think it might be a Paul Truesdell I think well. that might be right. Yeah. Everybody likes to call you P2. You should just call yeah. you P2. Yeah. It doesn't I'll be P1. You're P2. <laughs> thing one, thing two. Yeah. So for uh, those of who uh, follow us, uh, yeah, we know we've been doing this about once a month, and we'll do it a little bit more often. Uh, we have been busy. I haven't seen you for about a about a week. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very. When very, was very Thanksgiving? Busy. It's been th- since Thanksgiving. I think basically. it was the week before this past one. So yeah, yeah, we drove to Kentucky. Yes. We spent time in that. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, but but boy, has there been a lot going on in the past month. Got, got a uh, Northrop Grumman's uh, latest uh, Marvel, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, if you do, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I was just going to say uh, real quickly. Uh, we're going to drop in a disclaimer uh, real quickly because we're going to talk about companies. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of things because of what we do. So I'm going to drop that in right now, and then we're going to continue. But yeah, just so you folks know. I know we should be doing more of these. We promise to do more, but we've been extremely busy. I've been traveling and going all over the green earth and uh, to everybody down in Tampa and all these gazillion new friends I've been bringing up down there. We'll, thank you, thank you, thank you, but uh, let's get started. Due to our extensive holdings and our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and that a conflict of interest exists. By listening, reading, or using this document, video, podcast, or website in any manner, you understand the information presented is provided for informational purposes only and agree to our terms of use and privacy policy. Public and group informational items should never be considered professional advice. Nothing said, written, or otherwise communicated should be construed as an offer, recommendation, or solicitation to buy or sell a security. And lastly, we do not provide tax, legal, or psychological advice. Let's now continue with the Paul Truesdell podcast. Two Pauls in a pod. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a hodgepodge of a bunch of different things. This is going to be our typical shaggy dog. This is uh, just two guys shooting a breeze. We've been doing this for a long time. 
We'll start off talking with the uh, stealth, and then we'll move into Russia, we'll move into Ukraine, we'll move into China, we'll move into Foxconn, we'll move into chip manufacturing. I don't know what else we're going to move into. We'll just kind of yeah, spit a lot of things. I think for this one, I mean, the ultimate nexus is going to be based around China, and you know, it's it's going to be a lot about it's a lot about China and manufacturing and and uh, and that whole nexus. I think that, yeah, that's, that's the that. big thing. We'll do that. Uh, there, there's just too much to cover otherwise. Do you have your show notes in front of you? No, I have nothing. Do I have any? I guess not. We're just going to spitball no, it. We're just going to spitball it. Okay, so off we go. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Zoom Zoom. We got a new Zoom Zoom. Yeah, so the, I guess it was yesterday, uh, Northrop Grumman announced or, or revealed, let's say, their uh, new B-21 Raider. It's uh, an intercontinental, intercontinental uh, strategic bomber. Um, for those that don't really know about that history, the United States in the uh, inter, like let's say what the 1950s primarily, the 40s and 50s, we created this concept of the strategic bomber. Um, it was based off of a lot of the stuff that happened with long range bombing in World War II, uh, not really focused on Europe as much as it was primarily focused around Japan. And uh, the B 21 Raider gets its name. Uh, from that, the, the the nickname is the Raider, and that comes from Doolittle's Raiders during World War II. That was a big deal. If you get a chance, take a look at uh, General Doolittle and uh, Doolittle's Raiders. It's a uh, it's very cool. That was quite a flight, though. Yes, it was. And it was amazing that they were able to pull that off over and over and over again. But yeah. the, the, well, it was it's a really good story. I'm not going to get into it, but no. But for those of you, if you read. Uh, what, oh, fiddle six, I just lost his name. Was it Billy? Uh, Doolittle? I don't remember. It doesn't make any difference. You look at Doolittle's original, the, I mean, the original flight. Yeah. And the, the flak and the everything they went through and pulled it off is really amazing. It really is. It's a great story. But the fact that they could do it, then basically the entire war, we bombed the absolute living you-know-what out of Japan. And that's one aspect of World War II that people really don't talk about is the the impact of the strategic bombing, um, obviously in Japan, but also in, uh, in Europe and in general. Uh, and then obviously then how that has advanced over the years. But so since, um, since the end of Jimmy, did I say Jimmy? I don't recall. Yeah, it's, it's Jimmy, Jimmy Doolittle. So since the conclusion of the second world war, uh, and then there was the nuclear race, right? So obviously we enjoyed uh, nuclear supremacy over everybody for a handful of years. And then uh, the, our, our fantastic, just, just great, you know, uh, dripping with sarcasm, if you can't tell, uh, partners in, in World War II, uh, a primary partner also known as uh, the Soviet Union, uh, Stalin and co. Uh, they, of course, immediately... Uh, started stabbing us in the back and we had all kinds of uh, nightmare issues to deal with that turned into the cold war. And, uh, but basically once they had the ability to do nuclear, uh, to to build nuclear weapons and they had stolen the technology from the United States. Um, once that had happened, then we decided that we needed the ability to have the uh, long range strategic bombing capabilities that were above and beyond the capacity of the day. And lots of money went into these fancy programs to do intercontinental bombing because 
you know, the concept, I guess, at the time was that, you know, anywhere we stationed bombers anywhere away from the U.S. could potentially be destroyed in a very quick strike. So we needed the ability to take a, take a plane off from Louisiana or Iowa or Idaho or Montana or someplace and reach the adversary wherever they were to be able to get into their airspace and then drop some nasty stuff. Now, the real and, quickly. Well, real quick. So the key, though, is that this all predated the technology that, that ultimately became intercontinental ballistic missiles. Correct. Ballistic missile technology really hadn't gotten to that point yet. So this stuff was as this was the America's first strike capability. And a lot of resources went into that. And, and, the, and that's really where the story starts. Well, I was also going to say that what's, there's a key word here called strategic bombing. I want, I want to talk about that for just a minute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's take Germany. Let's take Dresden. Let's take World War II. And I'm, we're, we're talking about carpet bombing. We're talking about just destroying everything within multitudes of, of square miles. It's just, we just, that's what happened. I mean, that's real. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, millions and millions of Germans died at the hands of Allied forces. Just carpet bombings. Germans did it. it, it, it well, well, just wear Just indiscriminate in bombing. Most of the deaths, both in Japan and in Germany, were not actually from the bombs, though. They were indirect. It's the destruction of supply lines, housing, you know, the problems of winter and hygiene and things like that. That's where the majority of the deaths no, no, I, were. I agree with that. I just, I just want to clarify that because... One thing people think is that, like, you know, in the modern day, bombs and, and guns and all these magical weapons are really dangerous. And I can tell you if you watch enough war footage, yeah, they're scary. But if with a pretty good amount of uh, luck, like, it's actually not as dangerous as you think it is. Um, you know, I've seen tons and tons of videos of guys holed up in basements and all kinds of things and it's surprising how ineffective an artillery shell is if you have a properly def properly defended area um it's the other downstream effects it's the domino effect of losing your infrastructure and all of that stuff that really kills a lot of people right and and that's what i want to make it real clear because we live in a meme based world i deal with enough people that i quickly discharge them from having any contact with them when they can't think Critical thinking is important. I think that the here I'm saying to you and to our listeners that the word strategic bombing is designed to destroy morale, the economic ability to produce, to transport material. It It is designed to reduce the theater of operations for military operations very systematically and not just on a carpet basis where everything is. Now, I want to tie that to what the Russians are doing with their Scud missiles, and they're just throwing them in, and it's hitting uh, shopping centers, et cetera. Now, they, they're targeting high-profile items like like uh, power installations, et cetera. It's public infrastructure is what they're really trying to do, but um, one, they're malicious and, and nasty, so they don't have a problem you know, hitting an uh, apartment block that's right next to a, uh, a power generation facility, a thing that you know, in the U.S. would not be a tolerable item without extreme, extremely precise weapons um, because we understand the effect that it has on the civilian population. But then the other thing is is uh, a lot of their weapons are horrifically old and inaccurate and poorly maintained and or being repurposed. So, like, two aspects of it that we've seen. Uh, one 
was a retooling of anti-aircraft missiles that they have a lot of um, to then attack ground targets. Um, specifically, I'm talking about the S-300 system, as well as uh, using old Soviet-era, uh, like 1960s Soviet-era anti-ship missiles, uh, cruise missiles, to attack ground targets. Well, the problem is, is those targeting systems weren't designed for that. They were designed to be out on the ocean. So when you put in a target for these systems for uh, land-based things, it's not the greatest. And you have what happened like three months ago or something uh, when they first started using this, where instead of hitting the tank repair uh, manufacturer or uh, industrial area of a city, it hit a mall and killed a thousand people. Yeah, and, and I, I just want to give some context because we're going to run real quickly on some hardcore current details. But I think it's important to understand that terror bombing, we use, you know, terrorists and, and et cetera, et cetera. That's what terror bombing is viewed today. But terror bombing years ago was indiscriminate. That It was that as well. But it was indiscriminate bombing of civilian targets. I, I want to yes. use a context. Let's say you have the villages, which is located a little bit in Marion County and Sumter County. And then uh, what's the other one down there? Um, Lake County. So, you know, we want to do terror bombing. We'll just start bombing the, res- the 55 plus communities in the villages. That will just cause a complete poo storm everywhere. Now, if I want to terrorize them, but not terrorize them, if I want to do strategic, I take out the water plant. I take out the power plant. I t- take out bridges, yeah, make their life miserable. Absolutely. And yeah. so now instead of them being so angry at the death, they're angry because of the inconvenience and they want this war to end. Yes. So there's, now, now the, the problem, f- though, with that is, is that we learned in World War II, particularly with Japan and also Germany, that, and we also learned it in what other conflicts? Oh, Korea mm-hmm. and Vietnam mm-hmm. and Afghanistan right. and Iraq and multiple times in Iraq and all kinds of other places throughout the world. One thing we figured out, um, World War II, they made they did a lot of research, you know, after action analysis to try and figure out like what did we do that worked and didn't? How do we retool the military for the future? And um, you know, McNamara made the same mistake in Vietnam. Uh, he didn't. They didn't listen to their own research that uh, terror bombing doesn't work. It does not work against a population that is determined. It, it never does. Um, Japan. I mean, we killed. 10 times more people with strategic bombing and, and, and uh, terror bombing for, for lack of a better term. Um, of course, you know, it wasn't intentionally terror bombing, but it was in some cases, but it was, you know, the weapons just weren't as precise back then. So you couldn't go in and, and, you know, take out the power station. Um, but in, in the case of Japan, I mean, we, I, I don't know the, I don't have the numbers in front of me, of course, but you know, I, I think the number is we killed as many as 10 times the population of Japan using big, uh, uh, let's call it carpet bombing and, and strategic bombing of different things than we did with nuclear weapons. Absolutely people, true. People have this overemphasis on the effectiveness of, of nuclear weapons and how it ended the war when I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but you know the reality is, is all of the research from the internal discussions among the Japanese um, <clears throat> leadership at the time they, the nuclear weapons did not deter them, did not did not force them to the table. It was two front war. It was the Soviet Union to find the war in Europe ending, and the Soviet Union declaring war on Japan, 
at our behest um, that forced them to the table to negotiate because they knew they could make us bleed and they could survive our invasion. Um, maybe they wouldn't survive the war for f- beyond five or six years, but they could really make us pay. But in the earth, but if, is- if the Russians also invaded them at the same time, they knew they couldn't fight it. They didn't, they just didn't have the material resource. So it made sense to sue for peace. It was extremely painful for them. But the reality is, is, you know, most Japanese uh, got off uh, pretty pretty well. You know, the uh, one of the most uh, disgusting human beings in history, the head of the Japanese biological weapons uh, development. Uh, he, for example, took a Korean because remember Japan also occupied Korea uh, during World War II. He took uh, Koreans and did human testing on them. Some of those Doolittle's raiders that uh, fell. Their planes crashed, or they had to make emergency landings right. in Japan. They did uh, human uh, experiments on them and kept them alive to test sarin gas and 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 all kinds of nasty stuff. Did uh, I can't remember the technical term for it, but you know, did surgery, brain surgeries on live people, and just horrific. Some of the most horrific stuff you've ever seen. But wait a minute, wait a minute. And you can't talk about that because that is restricted to only Germany, Hitler, not, Nazi. Yeah. Well, it happened in, in Japan. Oh. Now the thing is that every guy, country, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the world wars in particular were horrific on for everybody. No, there's no, there are no saints in, in either of this, but the thing that's interesting that people don't talk about is that guy that ran that that horrific, uh, in particular, the chemical weapons program. Here that we they, go. That they tested these these things on civilians in particular, these uh, Korean civilians. So if you don't really understand the context on why Japan and Korea have had this, let's call what it ha- strained uh, history and uh, animosity for each other, even though we're all kind of part of the same alliance. Right. Um, that's this is why. Um, that guy in particular that ran that program, yeah, we hired him, and he worked for the uh, U.S. Uh, chemical Weapons Development Program after World War II. So the thing is, is like, like Werner von Braun from uh, Germany. Exactly. So you know, people have uh, let's call it rose-colored glasses. Vic- to, to to the victors are the spoils. The uh, the, the, vic- the if you win, you get to write the history. Um, but point is, is that. You know they got they they sued for peace and got out of it. Even some of the worst people that shouldn't have um, that, that deserved uh, Nuremberg style type of uh, uh, well, I, let's call it prosecution. Those types of people got off, and it's because they sued for peace and they followed. And you know some elements of their society were destructive, but the reality is, is you know forty years later they were the largest the. the the rival to our economy in the world. You know, Japan in the 1980s was was organized, and you know they were uh, the high tech manufacturing hub of the world, and and they were extremely influential and powerful. But so the point being is just that the strategic bombing didn't reduce the morale the way people expected it to. And I'm, I'm sorry, not strategic, but the carpet bombing right. and the the total destruction. So that's why we evolved into this strategic bombing where we got to take out these little things. And, uh, and do you know who in the United States was primarily behind that? It was I don't one recall. person. And it happens to be a fellow by the name of uh, General Billy Mitchell. Now, yes. Mitchell Field is the airport in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so okay. yeah. Billy Mitchell, and that's the thing that he was extremely instrumental in the removal of the Air Force from the military, from the Army. 
okay. create yeah, a yeah. separate Air Force because one of his big things was he believed in strategic uh, attacks, strategic warfare, yes. strategic bombing, where at the time the Army was more along the lines of the old, you know, <laughs> mass force, et cetera, the carpet bombing. And that's a big deal. Yeah, that's a huge so, deal. I, again, I, I like to give context because I'm older, you're younger, you're well-read, I'm more experienced, I guess, but the reality, that's a real thing. you got to sit down and know where some of these things come from. And we're really fortunate that just one or two people had enough influence to get that done. Now, with that being said, let's move forward in well, today's context. Well, so I want to add another, another element of context that's important is that strategic bombing is a tool and... It's it's not a one size fits all tool. No, in fact, um, Russia is so bad they need to get rid of everybody over there. Those people are brainwashed. Well, so in the application, it's how you apply the tool. So, for example, um, in Iraq, it was extremely effective. The U.S. air war in the first Gulf War, in particular, but also the second Gulf War, are pieces of art. And um, Schwarzkopf, in particular, and how he organized and 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 executed those plans you know is is will forever be in the history books of of you know the uh you know our generation's military commanders like it's just perfect but mm-hmm. the thing is the people in iraq hated their government so they didn't have this uh cultural camaraderie to support and defend the government so particularly in the second gulf war when it, we went total destruction mode on them and basically took everything out, they didn't have this, this fire in their belly to fight back. And because they didn't, then the strategic bombing worked. Um, so again, it's, it's, you have to apply it correctly. Um, in the case of modern day, the modern uh, Russo-Ukrainian war, um, the Russians, there's no amount of strategic bombing they could do that would force the Ukrainians to capitulate. Because they view them, they view Russia as their mortal enemy, and Russia views Ukraine as its mortal enemy, and they're like they will suffer through a cold winter if that's what it takes. Um, now, thankfully, Ukraine has a tremendous amount of support from the West, and for us, it's a it's a cheap investment in the destruction of one of our strategic enemies, and it will give us good opportunities in the future. So. And, and at the same time, you know, we have all this investment into equipment and supplies and plans that, you know, if not now, when? Like, what's the point of even having it in the first place if you don't use it? So, you know, it's it's an interesting thing to consider because, you know, and another, we had our own version of this. Um, uh, in World War II, of course, we, were, we learned this lesson in the carpet bombing of... Uh, uh, Japan and, and Germany, it did not force them to the table. Um, and in some cases, you know, absolute destructive bombing of uh, cities made it worse to fight in because, and this is something, of course, Russia is learning, because, you know, if you're an advancing military and you bomb the, you know, crap out of a, a city that is being heavily defended by your enemy, um, your enemy now doesn't have to worry about a civilian population. They're gone. And guess what? It's a lot harder to find people that are hiding in rubble and that are using a very destroyed and uh, let's call it uh, artistic landscape for ambushes and attacks and, and, and all that. 
than it is to have to worry like the guys who defended Mariupol in Ukraine. They had to worry about also protecting a city of 500,000 people. They didn't want to just, you know, snipe some Russians walk, trying to come down the city from a civilian apartment block that had like children and old people in it. So they had to do things in more creative ways that may not have been as effective. Um, they may have been able to kill a lot more Russians if they were willing to sacrifice the civilian population to the last person. Um, so the thing is, is it, it, if you have a people that actually, you know, has a, uh, let's say a stronger moral compass and a more responsibility to protect the civilian population, which to be fair is really the only point in fighting the war in the first place is you're doing it to protect the people. Um, you know, if you're going, if you're not, if you're going scorched earth and you remove these, uh, these elements of the, of the battle, the Ukrainians can, in, in, in a modern context, uh, the Ukrainians can say, okay, well, there's no civilians here anymore, so this is great because we can turn this into, we can turn this into Mad Max if we want to, and we don't have a problem doing it. So that's, a, that's, that's the thing that like, we learned in World War II, that uh, this total destruction thing actually removes leverage in some circumstances, and um, it's, it's con contextually a little bit different in Vietnam um, because in Vietnam we dropped more bombs and more ordnance, than, I mean, so you know, artillery and bombs, than uh, all of World War II combined. And that yielded us a lot of results numerically, like lots of, uh, lots of strategic stuff was blown up, lots of uh, uh, soldiers killed and... And all that sort of stuff, but it didn't win us the war because they were a determined enemy that just kept coming. And so the thing is, is it's a tool that has to be applied properly and then the right under the right circumstances. And in the modern sense, a strategic bombing force is extremely effective for attacking or preventing an attack. I guess you know, as like a, as a strategic kind of defense threat type situation. Uh, against more advanced countries, because, for example, can you imagine? Do you, do you think a uh, country like uh, I don't know China? Do you think if we had the ability to go in and just destroy the Three Gorges Dam, largest dam in the world, there's about a hundred million people downstream of this thing that would die. Do you think that they would press our buttons if we have the ability to go in? with one plane and destroy and, and kill off a hundred million people. Do you think the civilian population would be happy with the CCP over that? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. I mean, and, and we're, we're not doing a history lesson and we'll, we'll, we'll pick up and start going through this thing real quickly, but, but I think the context is important. No, know, I, I do too, which is why I wanted to, I wanted to add to that and I wasn't taken away from it back in 1938 they had the uh, bombing of Barcelona. Nobody really talks about that. That's literally when the Italians and the Germans went in and they just carpet bombed Barcelona. I mean, yep. there are places there that are historical landmarks from thousand years ago, and it's gone. Just they just. I mean, imagine Westminster Abbey. Imagine all these different places in England that we all gone right. Yep. But here's the thing: thirteen hundred people, two thousand wounded. That's nothing in today's comparison to the population. No. I want to give you a, another thing: um, Germany. In the Netherlands was fighting the Dutch, and you know they have this big thing about they they, they got fed up. 
the Luftwaffe got fed up. So they started copper bombing the Netherlands. Okay, you had about 900 people killed, give or take, 30,000 homeless. That's considered such a major event. Well, for context purposes, the Russians are losing as many as 900 soldiers in a day, oh, 100, yeah. 200, 300, yeah, day after to day today, after those, day. Compared to today, those are like strategic applications of bombing, even though they were very indiscriminate you right. know, for, the, for the period. So... In 1977, the, they had a, the, the, you have this thing called the Geneva Convention. And one of the things they have is Article 51. And Article 51 has been brought up against the United States in places like Afghanistan and Iraq. Of course. And it's the indiscriminate uh, attack on civilian, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, they've, they've tried to apply it where, you know, you've got this high-profile person in a, in a car. They're going down the road. He's got his family in it. Think of the movie with Harrison Ford. I forgot the name of the movie, but um, um, Clear and Present Danger. And, yeah, oh, yeah. the kids got killed and everything. That's a violation of Article 51 and all that. Okay, I'm, I'm going someplace with this. My point being is that you might have heard in recent months, uh, NATO and in UN, the UN, such a joke. I don't know why we even bother with that thing. They, oh, we need to do an Article 51 on, on Putin and Russia and everything else. Well, of course you should. Of course you should. But and of course, Russia is going to respond by saying, you and what army? Because yeah. everybody's made it clear we're not invading Russia. So it, this war in particular, I think, just to add to your point, is that you, know, these, you don't, these you don't UN, tell people for tell what you're going to do. Yeah, these, these UN rules and treaties and all these things, once again, have been proven to be useless and it's just, it's, it's politicking of the dumbest order because it, it's not effective at, at anything. You know, is, w- does Russia care about not killing civilians? No. You know, there have been people who tried to make that argument that, oh, they, they've been really, oh, you know, they've been really humane with their stuff. It's like, really? Really? You've got, it's, it's gross. Anyway, but so the point is, is just that on, on a strategic standpoint for like global politics, it, it it, the, the, there's a risk, and it's this goes into the strategic bombing and the B-21 and how we're posturing going forward. There's a very important strategic risk, I think, that if we were to rest on our laurels and kind of sit back and enjoy the supremacy and military capabilities that we in NATO currently have today, um, that things could get really ugly very quickly because people understand that these stupid international norms and treaties and things actually don't mean anything when the bombs start dropping. No, not a bit. And there needs to be the backing of that threat that, you know, if North Korea decides to fling a, maybe not a nuke, but some conventional, you know, missiles into, into South Korea, that there's going to be a very, very, very painful response in a, in a, to that, to those types of actions. So well, my point, my point was this, and I wanted to try to tie this when I was talking that, that, I want to tie Article 51, the Russians, Ukrainians, carpet bombing, strategic bombing, also into what's going on in China today with COVID. I want to tie it all together. Sure. Just let me do it real quick. What is the purpose of Article 51? It is don't penalize people who are civilians, who are non-military combatants. They're going to be injured. They're going to be hurt. Some will die. That's, that's just part of life. But you don't go out and target them as a target. You don't do yes, that. absolutely. And so sometimes bombs fall in bad places. Okay, you know, all the, all the oxen-free, you know, offsetting penalties. But strategic bombing is different 
from the old-fashioned carpet bombing. The point is, what is the purpose? Is purpose to protect civilians, okay? I'm going to come back to what you said about threatening. Now, I'm going to tie it to China. What they're doing in China is, in my opinion, is a violation of Article 51 because this whole COVID thing is being used as a ruse to control people. And you're going to talk in a little bit about the powers to be in China, how the GDP related to now COVID and how uh, Xi Jinping Bong is making money with all his other people, how he's altering the structure of government from being a communist party to a dictatorship where he's going back to a Maoist type government. You're going to go through that. Yeah. But what they're doing in these concentration camps, remember Apple and others are making product there, but they're taking people and they're incinerating them. We're going to talk about literally oh, yeah. the incineration of people. And I want to go back and tie. Yeah. Doodles Raiders. We lost some of our guys who were experimented on same thing with are people that were captured by the Russians. And it comes down to this thing about human dignity. When do you say is enough is enough? And I'll give you one last thing and then we're going to run. Off we go, really on what we're talking about. When I was a cop in Tampa years ago, we had a lady by the name of Vicky. Vicky was about four foot two. I swear to God, I don't think she was taller than that. How she ever got hired, I'll never know. But that woman, every time there was a domestic dispute, every one of us, now I'm a, I'm a bigger guy, I was one of the bigger cops down there, and I, even to this day, I'm always amazed at that, how I'm still one of the bigger guys. When she would have a domestic dispute, we all knew that if she got there first, we're going to have a fight because she would be her meek little self. Oh, you shouldn't, you know, oh, Bobby, you know, leave, leave uh, Mary Sue alone and blah, blah, blah. But then when I get there, then she starts threatening. If you don't do this, I'm going to put you in jail. You're going you're gonna to wish all of a sudden she's big man on campus. Well, guess what? She didn't fight. We're shit. It was me who had to take the punches and get the guy on the ground because he eventually had enough of her lip. We used to say to her, stop threatening. You keep threatening, you do the fight. And, and, and that's the thing. You do not threaten unless you're willing to carry it out. And it's easier to walk up to somebody acting like a goofball, being friendly with them, and then when you have to punch them, you knock their teeth down their throat. You don't you don't like, well, I'm just going to slowly do... I watch these things on TV, these cops. Oh, well, you know, they wrestle a little bit. And they go from zero to 100 and shoot the person because they don't know anything in between. So there are a lot of people out there who are in our government. Trump was one of them. Shut your pie hole. <laughs> and that's one thing I'll give credit for Biden. They're not, they're not saying everything, but they did say, oh, no, we won't, we won't, we won't use nukes if Russia used nukes. There are certain things, it's like John Kerry. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you have the political aspect, you have the economic aspect, and you have quite literally every single component of life when it comes to strategic development in the bomber. And thank God we have this new bomber coming out because it's going to be used sooner or later. So let's go to China. Um, well, some interesting stuff about the bomber. I just just for just to kind of cover it. It's pretty yeah. Let's cool. do that. Let's 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 rip the bomber and then we'll go over to China. Yeah. So obviously you got the name. You got the kind of history of of its purpose. Obviously, it's designed to carry conventional and nuclear weapons if necessary. Um. So you know, basically, the history of stealth bombers is is you know fairly recent. 
Um, obviously, it started with like what the F one seventeen. That was the first major one. We used that one in uh, Kosovo and Serbia and stuff like that. Obviously, one of them got shot down. We used it heavily in the first Gulf War. Um, then we developed, uh, around the same time, we were developing the B-1 bomber, the B-1 the Lancer. It wasn't really stealth. I, I guess it kind of was a little bit, but not super. And, uh, you know, that was just a, a demonstration of being able to have big, fancy, long-range bombs and, and some, some amount of stealth technology. But anyway... Um, and then they developed that platform, or at least that concept, then rolled into the B-2, which was the stealth, the real stealth bomber. But the problem is B-2, we only really have about, we only have 20 of them. And they were horribly expensive, and, you know, they, they were uh, uh, very ahead of their time, but at the same time, you know, a lot of R&D went into those planes, um, the, the, the stealth planes. And obviously, since then, you know, we have a lot of smaller, more stealth planes. And, and stealth, you know, effectively just has to do with uh, mitigating your radar cross-section and dispersing radar uh, so that you are show up on, a, on radar as a smaller aircraft or, or, or too small to even be registered. And uh, so, for example, um, you know, some, some of the... Uh, more advanced stealth aircraft that we have, my understanding is that, uh, you know, they don't come up on radar systems, uh, or at least modern radar systems, as a giant, you know, 40-foot wingspan aircraft, but they come up as like, you know, the, the biggest you can get them to come up on radar as is like the size of a bird. So the problem is, is for a radar system, you can't, you can't watch every bird. So, you know, the stealth is, is very, very uh, important, um, especially in, the, in an age with, uh, let's say, very complicated, very advanced uh, radar systems with computers that can analyze the data that comes in from them and then try and pick out anomalies and stuff like that. And, so, and just, so, just so we know, I mean, stealth is something that's been going on since World War One and World War Two. The Germans, I know, here we go again, the Germans experimented literally with paper-wrapped uh, wings instead of metal. Yeah. And it was they found that it was better to go putt, 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 and be very dark, and you can't radar, you, nothing. Yeah, radar yeah. mitigation has been, uh, yeah. it's been a, 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 a an ongoing R&D thing from every serious Air Force since the beginning of airplanes. Yeah. and, as soon, and as, as soon as we started getting radar, everybody's like, well, crap, how do we, how do we become invisible to radar? And so in 1977, our first stealth of this generation went into effect, okay? In 2000, Russia, that's a big spread in years. And then 11 years later, 2011, which was only 11 years ago, the first, China made their first one. So, you know, everybody who says, oh, my gosh, they're so, yeah, they may be catching up to us what we did 30 years ago, but this thing that came out today has been in development for, what, I think seven years. These, those, those other... Listen, Russia today, <laughs> their R and D is so in the toilet because of yeah, it's it's pathetic. And and those stealth aircraft that the Chinese and the Russians have developed are um, the best way to describe them is uh, let's call it artisanal, mm -hmm. very very handmade. Um, effectively, it's propaganda. Uh, the mass produced models that I've seen. Uh, an engineer at a company in the U.S. that makes a stealth aircraft would laugh, probably to the point of them like bleeding out of an orifice, because it's so funny to them. 
because you you have like exposed bolts and rivets and it's it's not proper stealth. And always remember that a lot of people, and I'm I'm one of those who has screamed for years that you know the Chinese are just stealing every piece of technology we have. But one of the ways to mitigate that is let them take the things that we want them to take. And exactly. so, oh yeah, you you build stealthy thing and it generates a. Code seventeen four fifty five on the radar screen, and exactly. we just zero in on that. And so this weird anomaly radar thing comes. I'm obviously I'm not yeah. giving things for for real because we're not going to do that. Uh, but you but know, that assumes that they're just as capable as we are in manufacturing, which is not the case. Right. So it's worse. Um, so yeah. So the so this is this, the stealth technology in the B twenty one is just interesting. Uh, it's you know there's very little known about it, but the little bit of information we do have is that you know obviously it builds on 50 years of R and D on uh, uh, design and uh, the coatings and the material science and all that stuff that goes into to developing these aircraft. Um, they got the contract for this I guess in 2015, and uh, Northrop Grumman um, they I guess. Yeah, so since 2015, they have the contract for it. It's one of the fastest uh, developed aircraft out there. Mm-hmm. And I think this just kind of proves that like giving one company that's really good at a, thir- a certain thing who has a lot of experience at it, who's motivated, um, versus this, you know, F-35, uh, you know, let's involve every partner country in the world and, you know, design by committee thing. Now it's a fantastic aircraft. Like the F thirty five, contrary to a lot of propaganda, is an is an amazing aircraft and a platform. But the issue is, is that it you know it should be because it's been twenty five years in development. Versus this, you know, you have about seven, so it's pretty pretty impressive. Um, it has a you know par- carrying payload uh, payload capacity very similar to the B two bomber, uh, is my understanding. And, but the big one is that it is an intercontinental uh, strategic bomber that has a 6,000-mile range. So for something that has a tremendous carrying capacity and stealth and has that range is amazingly impressive. Um, obviously, the things they harped on on their, their little announcement was how it's you got a, a modular system, so it'll be upgraded and, and modified for the missions and the, the technologies that are yet to come. Um, it's a totally digital platform. So obviously heavy, heavy, heavy technology as far as the inside, uh, you know, the, the actual mechanics and the, and the interface between, uh, other aircraft and the, and the weapons and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of cool. Um, but what's interesting is from a strategic standpoint, this coincides on the same exact day that we have removed our permanent F-15 force from Japan. And so going forward, this is the first time, I think, since World War II that we don't have a permanent air force in Japan. And there's two reasons for this. One is uh, very simple, that Chinese uh, missile technology and range uh, is at a point where it uh, is dangerous if something cooks off over there for us to have a, a permanent stationed air force there. There's not a lot we'd be able to do to stop it because they would just rain so many missiles in that it would overwhelm any air defense capabilities that we have, regardless of how good it is, which Ukraine has proven it is extremely good. Um, but, you know, the reality is, is if you have uh, 
if you have a thousand uh, anti-missile, anti-aircraft launchers and they fling a thousand and one missiles, you're probably going to at least take one hit. So quick little sidebar, quick little sidebar. When, if you literally think about uh, going from Portugal, I got granted, understand the whole thing though, but you literally go from Portugal all the way over to South Korea. It's a continuous landmass. Yes. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. The Chinese want to redo the Silk Road and all that. And it's never going to really succeed, but to some degree, but where are we? <laughs> we have this dumb neighbor to the north of us where, you know, they're just kind of like a, almost like a, a, a very strong strategic partner of ours called Canada. And we have Mexico below us and all the other islands. We have such, it's such a unique geographical, oh, yeah. we have big water in between. You got some distance. So you, yeah. people have to understand that. Well, we, we pulled our, our, and this is where I go, I hate, I just hate the media. Oh, we pulled our planes out because we fear them. No, it's a strategic move. But it also has to do with these planes. Because, exactly. because the thing they emphasized about these planes is like the B-1 and the B-2, um, they do not have to be stationed in theater um, or in, in B-52s. So B-2s, we have, I think, like 20 B-1s, less than that. And then uh, B-52s, operational, I guess they're called B-52Hs, um, we have like 75 or something. So our current strategic bombing force is one, not very stealthy, uh, except for the B-2s really. And we really just don't have a ton of them. And the majority of them, obviously, because the B-52H is old, um, you know, it's 60 plus 70 years old. So um, the B-21 coming under budget, ahead of schedule, having all the capabilities that they desired and then some and having, you know, this, this, you know, grand experience of Northrop Grumman, um, on, you know, being, being poured into this project, uh, is impressive. And the timing is perfect because, um, I guess the te first test flights were in March. So they've been flying them around and it's funny. You take a look at the pictures of, uh, of the, they unveiled what it looks like. Well, you take a take a look at the pictures, and the way the uh, kind of the main hull of the of the aircraft looks like it literally looks like a flying saucer. <laughs> so it's funny, like all these people out there, like you know, with their tin foils, saying that we got aliens coming around. It's like it wouldn't surprise me that for the past couple of years they've been flying prototypes of these things, and people think like, oh man, there's flying saucers around. Well, of course, the, the, the old military industrial complex troll of the population. So yeah, or some of our pilots are some of our military pilots who have now made money in the uh, in the public world going, I was flying in this thing like <laughs> yeah. a zip, zap, zap. We've never seen anything like that. Yeah, that was ours. Uh, or it's, you, it's on a need no basis. And you didn't need no bucko. Of course, the other thing that's funny is a lot of those are like they're like uh, weird uh, lens anomalies. Yeah, of course. Or their or their radar anomalies and things. And of course, if you're flying a you know, super advanced aircraft and an anomaly keeps coming up for some reason or another. It's got to be spooky because especially if you don't know about it, like that problem, it's like, Oh, what is that? You know, I'm, I'm in the best thing that exists. What, what the heck was that? But at the same time, it's also useful to cloak certain projects and things. Yeah. I want to go back. You were talking about the B-52. I want to add a couple of things. It's, it's called a stratoforce, uh, a fortress. And so that H and that's why I call it that. But Literally, the first flight for that thing was April 15th, 1952. Yes. <laughs> 70 years ago. Yeah, it's, it's, it was literally created to be our 
strategic bombing backbone. Yeah, and they, they built over, uh, almost 750 of the thing, 744 to be spe- to be very precise. I know that for a fact. And there's um, like 74 still in service. Yeah, and but here's the thing. there's there. I remember, <clears throat> so I'm going to do something personal. When I bought uh, back in 19, what was it, 95, I think, we bu- I bought that big white Mercedes, the uh, S-Class. I bought the big S-Class with 320 Mercedes, and it had the old German engine and got talked into that and everything. And the whole idea, even back then, bigger and better, you know, metal going back into the 60s and 50s, you know, bigger cars, you know, they're safer because they're... What's happened now? Cars are made out of plastic. They have crushed components. They have all these different things. Yeah. Bigger is not necessarily better. And so you may have a, a tank that can squash a car, but you might have a better chance of surviving with a modern car than some semi-tank from years ago because of the way they're designed to, to, to move, it, et cetera. Some things you're going to die no matter what. So that is the, the whole world of combat. And for clients, we're going to be talking a lot about the development of uh, modern warfare and how we're going to make how we make money on warfare uh, has changed. You know, everything from a simple drone and a hand grenade. It's to to go back to something I think I've said on this podcast before, but I'll say it again. Uh, it's warfare, like most things in life, it's rock paper scissors. For every advantage you have over something else, there's something else that can take you out just as easily as you're able to take yep. out that other thing. So it's about managing your risk and having the right tools for the job that are available at the right time. That's it's it. also about staying current. It's about having well, of course, highly educated, not, not necessarily highly educated, let me back that up. It's not about education. It's about having people who can connect the dots, who create, who can remix things Based upon, because there's, not, there's nothing new. Everything's a remix. It's about is about continually progressing. That's where we have the advantage. We have had that advantage for a long, long time. That's the reason why Germans have been hated. Let's be honest about it. Uh, you have uh, people who have the ability to do things that other people just can't do, and um, so when they lose a war, they're going to pay a deep price because you want to you want to annihilate the knowledge base or take it back home with you, oh, which yeah. we did. Yeah, I mean, the modern military system is based on, you know, at least half of it is based off of, uh, let's call it very innovative uh, mechanical engineering from, from from Germans, whether we're talking about rockets or jet engines or <laughs> tank design and all kinds of stuff. Like, so many things are like bedrock pieces. People, people don't consider, <laughs> yeah, it's like one crazy guy who played with rockets a little too much and then one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, yeah, we got intercontinental ballistic missiles, and we're sending rockets to to outside of the solar system. It's like it's like, dang, that's that's a that's a heck of a series of domino effects. Uh, if you go back a little bit, of time. Well, you know, and like you and I like to watch. Uh, oh, by the way, I, I met a, a lady uh, this week from Wisconsin, Amanda. If you're listening, I want to say hi to you. So you can send me an email and, and acknowledge that uh, she's a fellow cheesehead from a hundred hundred thousand years ago, but. She likes to watch a gold rush. We were talking about that for the same reasons that we watch it. It's like, so you lo- can get the five minutes of content, out the five of minutes hour. of content. Yeah. 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 We're gonna have to learn about a trauma again for the 550,000. Oh, yeah. But you go to go back to Parker Schnabel. He's not exactly a likable guy, a kid. He's, he's, he's a, he's a, he's an interesting cat, but his conveyor belt system, he, he put the money into the things yeah. where these other Tards, they just <laughs> yeah. He, he's he's invested in his operation very very strategically. 
Exactly. So, you know, when you watch television shows, when you watch the news, don't just take it for entertainment or for gospel. You know, figure it out. Look yeah. at what's going on. So let's keep on going here. Um, yeah. Well, so, yeah, the, the B-21 is a very impressive uh, aircraft, at least based on everything we've been told. Um, it has a radar cross-section that uh, Northrop and the Air Force claim is invisible for modern anti-air systems and based on what we're seeing in ukraine the 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 vaunted amazing russian air defense technologies that china has largely adopted and copied um, are largely incapable at doing what they need to do um, they're good um, but it requires a lot of very clever application of the tool the ukrainians are better at it than the russians are and uh, even then, their technology is, is really not as, as amazing as the propaganda that they kind of made everybody think it was. Um, and the systems that we've been sending to Ukraine are, were historically anyway in the past couple of years, not viewed as, as capable as the Russians. And as turned out, that is not true. I mean, some of the systems that we or the Germans have sent over are literally a hundred percent kill ratio of the targets that they're going after. Yeah, it, it is. So they're statistically anyways, uh, for now much more capable than what the Russians have. And we just downplayed it, which I guess is probably a good thing to do. Um, but we have real world experience now. So what I think we do, I think we know taking all this data at, at face value, um, barring any unknown unknowns here, we, our air defense systems and our, our knowledge and capabilities is probably, for air, for air defense capabilities anyway, are probably some of the, probably the best in the world right now. And if this thing is not detectable by our own systems, then it's probably, uh, I, I would say I would have a, a, a high amount of confidence that it is uh, going to be very effective against any potential adversary. Or at the very least, that's what we want them to think. So um, that's an impressive uh, thing. Uh, we will never know for sure because just like the B-2 bomber, uh, we're not going to know anything about it for generations to come. So uh, we'll just take them at their, at their, uh, at their word. And if, if one get, ever gets shot down, I guess we'll, we'll know what the circumstances are around that. Um, but, the, so, but the thing that's most important about it is it's ahead of schedule, it's under budget. And for Northrop, uh, this is a fantastic opportunity for them because with our strategic bombing force, um, like I said, we have uh, a few dozen B-1 and B-2s, and then uh, only a few more dozen than that of these B-52Hs that are you know, very, very ancient at this point. Um, the B-21 is supposed to be the new backbone of the U.S. bombing force, right. strategic bombing force. And the plan, based on what I've uh, seen online and from interviews and, and budgetary requests and things, is that the U.S. Air Force wants to procure as many as 200 of these. That's a lot. So that is more than double our current strategic bombing force. And combined, obviously, uh, not just one plane. So uh, that is a very interesting uh, uh, opportunity, obviously, for Northrop. They're delivering, obviously. Um, and it's, it looks like it's a very capable system. So I would say for anybody out there... Uh, Get used to hearing and seeing uh, the B twenty one because it is, it's it's the future of uh, of, of our of our strategic uh, bombing backbone. 
Now, the interesting part, of course, is that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, the F-15s being pulled out of uh, Japan and stuff like that, um, it kind of just shows you that there's a dramatic uh, strategy shift ongoing with how to deal with China and Russia and others. And a lot of that has to do with Korea and Japan rearming in a significant way. Uh, I believe next this, this coming year, Japan will be potentially the third largest military spender in the world behind the U.S. and China. Um, Germany, so much for that demilitarization of Japan from after World War II, huh? Well, the reality is, is we don't want to keep footing the bill for everything, and we don't have enough people. Uh, well, it's not that we don't have enough people. We don't want to have a military of that size. We don't make the money to justify spending more than we currently spend. So, and we want to put our resources into other things. So in, Japan in, being, uh, Japan's had a, uh, let's call it an awakening moment. And they have, uh, they're rekindling a, a, a more positive, I guess, relationship with Korea. And obviously they all are working with Taiwan and the Philippines has been peeled off as an ally of China. And they're working more in our little alliance, and then obviously you have Australia in the area. So let me jump on that. A, this is a well, big deal. In we, Asia, you've got you know this conglomeration that uh, this alliance that's forming. That's like, uh, of course, people say it's like a U.S. puppet alliance, and yes, yes, it is. It has our backing. Where you have South Korea, Japan, Philippines, um, Australia, and Taiwan that are this buffer against China. Right, and I want to say something, that, and that is uh, a lot of people don't realize that we had a real problem with the Philippines uh, up until fairly recently. Uh, they were canceling contracts with our... our uh, yeah, there's just a game being played. Are we going to buy Russian? Are we going to buy Chinese? Are we going to buy U.S.? And they were playing everybody against each other. And uh, when this Ukraine war started, that game basically ended, and they realized that they needed the U.S. because this other stuff was crap, and that these other countries don't have the... the force projection to actually defend them if they got on our wrong side. Well, you know, and there's other things that we have to talk about. Like, for example, uh, Latvia, uh, Lithuania, we have Norway, we have Sweden, you know, countries that have actually very strong uh, cultural identity and men and women who are not going down without a fight and are willing to invade. Um, there's a, a growing sentiment among them that, if Russia keeps this up, then, well, the old, what was it, uh, St. Petersburg is not, uh, what's the city, what's the place right nearby there? Uh, yeah, St. Petersburg is, what do you call St. Petersburg? Is, uh, two, one, two dozen miles from the border of Finland. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, they could be overrun, like, instantaneously. Uh, Gazprom and everything else is up there. Uh, but what I'm, what I'm going to is that Russia has that. Russia has Ukraine. Russia has Poland is not happy with them. Okay, Poland, which is, I think they're itching for a fight to a reason to get involved in the fight. You have India, which is fed up with China and the Mongol and the steppes and everything else over there. Now you have the Pacific Rim. You know, it is an interesting world in which we live in and not understanding this uh, will cause a person to talk stupid, but more importantly, to miss opportunities to invest. So I'm going to take a quick break right here. Uh, we're going to give you a quick word from our sponsor, Fixed Cost Financial. We'll be right back right after this. The Paul Truesdale Podcast is sponsored by Fixed Cost Financial, a registered investment advisor and home with fixed cost investing. Fixed Cost Financial is a real alternative to the conflicts of interest, opaque costs, and unexpected fees found in a sea of sameness. 
The approach is simple, fair, and transparent. You only pay for what you need and always know what you're paying. At Fixed Cost Financial, it's investing and advice done better. Visit FixedCostFinancial.com. That's FixedCostFinancial.com. You'll be glad you did. Let's now continue with the Paul Truesdell podcast. Two Pauls in a pod. We're talking a little bit about the uh, new alliance on the Pacific Rim. Let's continue on with that. Well, I think something else that's important to consider is that this alliance, while is kind of, uh, I don't know, new and some of it's not super up to standard or up to par to actually deal with a a real fight from China, potentially, um, it doesn't matter because China's facing such economic and demographic headwinds that it's not really about preparing for a real fight. It's not a Cold War type situation like people were thinking a few years ago. It's more along the lines of just making sure they don't do anything dumb. Um, where, you know, during the Cold War, everybody legitimately thought, man, war could break out overnight and it would be, you know, World War Three. Where with China, I don't think anybody thinks that that's a serious potentiality as much as it's just making sure that they know they can't bully anybody and they can't make any too uh, rash decisions, that there are no opportunities for them to to do any military adventurism or create a conflict where, let's say, um, they know they may lose, but for the purposes of domestic political stuff, they may want to create a uh, patriotic war to cover over other problems, if that makes sense. Um, It's kind of a similar problem that we're seeing, well, we've seen develop and is still now a very big question as to how it ends, Uh, with Russia and Ukraine because Russia has been obviously desperately, desperately, desperately trying to drag anybody else into the war. They flung a missile into Poland and NATO basically said, oh, it was was Ukraine accidentally doing it. Um, Wrong. You know, some people may disagree with me on that, but that's the position I'm taking based on what I've seen. Um, You've got... Russian propaganda continually saying, oh, we're not fighting Ukraine anymore. We beat those terrible Nazi demon pedophile Satan worshipers. By the way, I'm, I'm putting all those uh, pejoratives together, but it is, it is every single one of those have been used at one point or another as Russian propaganda for why the war is taking place. It's been very funny to watch like it evolve from, you know, oh, they're NATO puppets. Now they're Nazis. Now they're... Now they're they're pedophiles and they're sacrificing children. Now they're Satanists. It's just, anyways, it's very look, it's very funny and how how ridiculous the propaganda gets when they're let, desperate. Let me jump in on that. I want to I want to give some context. I, I this is what I'm and I'm, I don't want to turn this political, but this is what concerns me with Trump, Alex Jones. You sit back and you you look at who is who is regurgitating the Russian propaganda as if it's just gospel when they just twist it. Well, you've also got Alex Jones, right? Alex Jones had... Even Tucker Carlson. I'm sorry, oh, yeah. but it, well, just, yeah, some it of is these, the case. Yeah, well, some of these people fall for very unusual people. But uh, 
Uh, probably lost half our audience by saying that. Well, I, it doesn't matter. I mean, well, the the Tucker Carlson one is is it's about his guests, right? He he says a lot of dumb stuff and whatever. He's just a he's a he's a carnival barker. But um, the thing is, like he he has guests on. Like um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Uh, he's got a goofy name. I think his name is Darren Beatty. And this guy runs a political like website or something, and he's very pro Russia. And he, they're like, he's like always making excuses for you know whatever. Um, then you know, and he's had other guests, but this guy's like a, I think a recurring guest. Um, obviously, you've got Alex Jones. Alex Jones recently had uh, Kanye West, also known as Ye, or the or are we going to go back to Prince, the artist formerly known as Kanye West, or whatever? I'm calling him Kanye West because I'm I'm not. F- not falling for any this, this stupid. I'm gonna this, call this him stupid, Yeehaw. This stupid charade, but the um, he does get he, he, he doesn't know how to make attention. Yeah, well, I don't think that's gonna last for much longer. But he uh, he went on Alex Jones for whatever reason. But the best part is, is he you know he's been doing the rounds at like different podcasts and things, and you know we're not gonna discuss like the the game that he's playing here. It's dumb, but he um, he he has two people. Uh, two or three people on his payroll now, or supposedly on his payroll. I guess they're part of his part of his posse, who are they're just trolls. Uh, you got this 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 like I think Hispanic kid who uh, he's pretty young, and he is supposedly a white nationalist uh, uh, terror inspirationist. I guess uh, people people think he's like a terrorist. Terror uh, inspirationist. Yeah. That's an interesting word uh, too. How did jot that down? By the name of uh, Nick or Nicholas Fuentes. Uh, I guess he was involved in Trump stuff years ago, and now he's uh, a white supremacist racist that works for a black anti-Semitic rapper who is going to run for president. If you can explain that whole situation to me, I would. I would be. I'd be. I'd. I'd love it. Um, but then you also have uh, former, I guess, Breitbart. Uh, writer and uh, let's call it political provocateur uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, who is a reformed, uh, he's a uh, formed homosexual who is a born again Christian that is also working with Kanye West. It's, Wait a minute. He Milo Milo is now hetero and yes. got God. Is he related yes. to Justin Bieber? Uh, I, th- I don't think Justin Bieber is a reformed homosexual, so he's well, more complicated. <laughs> he's more complicated, let's say. Um, lost but, it. We lost it or half of our audience. <laughs> but like, but these are the creatures that are coming out, right? And you know, Alex Jones recently lost his lawsuits, and you know, he's like what one point five trillion dollars in debt or something. So what? He's um, not going to pay. He's never he going to pay. It's no, just, it's, but it's, it's it's a meme number. Yeah. But so Alex Jones to repair his credibility, what does he do? He has these morons on. And how do you and repair, how do you repair and, your credibility with that? Well, you don't. You oh, just, that's right. You, you were with Trump. You that's be, where you, you become his credibility. Well, so that's the best part. Is is last week I, or or the week of uh, of, of Thanksgiving? Trump apparently has the has this gaggle of morons to to dinner, the day of or the day before or the day after Thanksgiving. I don't remember which. Um, and then that makes a big show, and Trump has been has been trying to like run cover and, and make excuses for why he met with these people. 
the whole the American well, embrace it. This is the problem with Trump. Just embrace it. Yeah, I know these people. I, I, I talk to them. Whatever. So I don't even I don't even remember what my point was in mentioning all of this. But you've got this clown show going on, um, and I, you know, we were talking about propaganda and how you know how. Oh yes, propaganda. So you've got all of these people. That was the point I brought this up for. Is when the when that when that gaggle of clowns was on Alex Jones. Alex Jones is of course unabashedly pro Russia. Uh, he he's pro America, freedom. Seventeen seventy six will rise again, whatever. But at the same time, he's pro Putin and pro Russia. It makes no sense. Oh, I can't. He's, I can't. A, I, this, I have a scorecard. Yeah. My scorecard looks like a child who's blind yes. with with Tourette's, and it's yeah. all over. The, I can't connect the dots. And, I can't do it. And obviously, uh, then what they, those people were on uh, Alex Jones' show. Kanye and his uh, the only thing I can describe it is it's like he it's like he's gathering a gaggle of trolls and it's just like what who can I who clown can I, card who can I assemble into my into my clown car that will bring the most uh, attention uh. yeah it's it just, the, the car comes out from the, you know the, the three ring circus and they just keep, oh yeah. well, keep coming out keep coming oh out yeah. keep coming out <laughs> I mean I I I, fig, I figure like if if they can prevent people from fighting um if they could bring together like some uh like like black Hebrew Israelites and they can get Richard Spencer in there because, you know, he's, he's the big uh, media demon white nationalist guy. And um, let's see, like some, like some UFO occultists <laughs> and Love maybe it. some like really wacky, uh, like uh, I get Bigfoot like, in there. Like, like some really wacky Sasquatch. Nah, that's, that's a little too mainstream. Okay. Uh, no, I'm thinking like some really wacky, like, uh, like, like, Christian like offshoots. So like, uh, let's was see. It Westboro church. Type yeah. People? Westboro Baptist church. That's exactly who I was thinking. Of. I don't know. Are those guys still around? I maybe, think the old man died. They, I think the kid got in jail. I don't know. I, uh, I, I think they're kind of gone, but yeah, well, there's, there's okay. still plenty of them around. Okay. Well, if they were still around, maybe you could add those guys in there. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but the only thing I can say is that, uh, they were his, his gaggle of clowns that were on. Um, uh, and if you haven't seen the clips, please, Go look at the clips because it's not really about what's said because what he's saying is just like crazy stuff to get attention. Um, and then Alex Jones is like, doesn't know what to do with it. And he doesn't have the fortitude to basically tell him to leave and end the show um, because he is himself a provocateur. Um, but you got to see how Kanye is dressed. See, mo <laughs> most people don't understand like this weird persona that... <coughs> Most people don't it's understand this persona that, that Kanye comes out with. And I had never seen it in full force, but apparently he does this at like concerts and stuff. And it's the funniest thing ever. He he's in a puffy jacket. Okay. Like zipped up. Now he's inside. He's indoors. He's in a studio. He's got a like, like, like really the only way I can describe it. It's not a ski mask. It's like the darkest pantyhose you've ever seen <laughs> over his face. And he's, but then he's got sunglasses on top or, or, or underneath or something. The thing. So he's like, look, you know, and then I, I don't think he had a hat on, but anyway, maybe he did. But then he also has on the table, he has like a, um, uh, you know, like a, like a, uh, like a fishing net, like small, <laughs> yeah. but it's bright orange. And he's like waving it around occasionally. <laughs> I don't know what the hell is going on. Um, but then you, then he's got like some of his gaggle of clowns there and they're just making provocative statement, one provocative <laughs> statement after another. And the, so the, like, it's just a clown show. 
And but the best part about it is, is that um, uh, they, they, they apparently a line of discussion goes into about how how much everybody loves Russia and Putin and everything. There you go. It's like that's so my point. The only the only thing I can see here is that this is like the weirdest psyop ever, where it's just about creating chaos because none of this makes any sense. Well, you know, you're you're. I none made I made a sense. note here. I wanted to say. What's that TV show where they're in Alaska? They're like they're like the village people up in Alaska. <laughs> yes, um, but, but wait a minute. There's one other thing. It's like that. What's her name? It's like Jersey Shore, Snooky Cookie, or whatever her name yeah, was. Yeah, Jer- Jersey Shore. Yeah, you, yeah. You, where do they come up with these people? But here's the thing. These Not people, only are these people, they're, they're in, these are the kind of people now that are then morphing themselves into Alex Jones and Trump and politics. They're actually listening to these people. Yeah. They actually are listening to these people. Well, the, oh the, uh, the, the Alaska thing. Thank, thank God for the dark, deep state, bureaucratic state. Uh, That's all I got to say. Yeah. Anybody who, who does not have an appreciation for the sanity of the people in the deep or the steady state um, out there, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you are, you know, NSA gathering uh, technology people. Um, I, I appreciate I appreciate your your your, your hard work because uh, the the more naive version of myself cursed you and was mad about how oh we're not following the constitution. Now I understand in the modern world that's just not possible. Yeah, no, I, I I will do the same thing <laughs> I, to all of you in the FBI, CIA, NSA, and everywhere else that uh, are non political who truly at times hate your political appointees, but you keep doing your job in defense of. Uh, Life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. We're true Americans. Thank you very much because we are putting some of the dumbest among us in, in office on TV. And uh, oh God, are we gonna? Am but, I gonna be the, able to live my mortality? Because this is just—I'm just tired of this stuff. Well, this is just entertaining at this point. Ah, uh, yeah, I, like it's, it, it is. It's it is gone. From, it's gone from like incoherent. Thank God I got you. It's gone from an incoherent spectacle, where like you know the, the the latter part of the trump stuff where like things just stop making sense well hell milo they talked it, about him being secretary of state i yes, remember that I, or, or Ooh, no hell? no 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 spokesperson oh spokeshole that's yeah. right so well yeah that has really scary connotations well what he yeah. one of his spokesholes um, now a governor so yes yes Buckleberry. but so <laughs> yeah but some of this just makes such little sense at this point uh, that it's it's nothing but pure entertainment, at least in my view. And you know, a lot of people are getting upset about it. But I wish people wouldn't. I wish people would just laugh at it because, like, this is so crazy. Some of the stuff that's going on is so crazy that it should just be met with like, why condemn it? Just laugh at it. Well, like, here, it's it, it's so dumb it can't be taken seriously. Well, here here's the and, thing on propaganda that nobody will pay attention to. Nobody pays attention to this. Now, uh, you and I haven't talked about this, but I've been tracking in the last couple of weeks. Have you been tracking the number of Russians killed by Ukrainians? Uh, yeah, roughly. Sh- short answer. It's, okay. it's pretty. It's pretty bad. It's it's accelerating. Oh no, it's not. No, no, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Son. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh. He, I forgot. I forgot. Hold on. Another Russian propaganda point. I forgot the Ukrainian necromancers are out there raising them from the dead. Yeah, okay. I forgot about that. So here's the thing. And if you think I, I'm joking, I challenge I'm you not. to do this. And I challenge everyone who's listening to do this. If you can still find the articles from about two and a half, three months ago, look at the number of Russians killed and wounded. And then I want you to tell everybody what the ratio is on that general war ratio of wounded to kill. But you know what's going on now? Even our U.S. government, everybody is using the word 100,000 Russians are casualties. 
combination of injured and dead. Yes. Now, no chance in the world. No. Here's what they did. They're lowering the number of Russians injured and killed, and I know the reason why. Because they don't want sympathy for the Russians because it is a, they are getting. Yeah, there's an aspect of that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, the, the it is. Explain that. I want well, yeah, so. So, in, so you, I set it up, you run with it. Yeah, so uh, to explain the term, casualty historically means it's, it's a metric for injured and killed. Casualty simply means you are no longer capable of fighting. You're not, you're not useful. You're, you're a liability. You've gone from an asset to a liability. So in warfare, obviously, you want to keep as many people on the battlefield and be, being assets as possible. Um, for example, like certain evolutions in ammunition and, 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 and weapons technologies have leaned more towards, for the purposes of like uh, the U.S., uh, we switched from utilizing uh, .308 caliber, thirty out six then three oh eight caliber uh, so thirty caliber bullets for the average infantryman using um i guess what are technically called battle rifles to utilizing uh carbine caliber weapons primarily in the current context it's uh, the five five six uh m sixteen m four a r fifteen platform uh stoner uh weapons um and the thing the, benef- there, the benefits were that, A, we could carry more ammunition, but the other thing was is, oh, the, the complaint was, well, these bullets don't put a you know, dime-sized hole through you like a thirty caliber does, but that doesn't matter because it's, it actually is better for you that those people are injured because it creates more logistical problems of trying to save people and whatever. Of course, that goes on the idea that you're a, you care about your fellow soldier and stuff, and some militaries don't, and that whatever it takes them out of the fight is all the point is and, right? and, but the russian the, the russian um, leave behind is unbelievable yeah we won't get into that okay. but but so for the purposes of uh, creating casualties um some technologies have been in for the purposes of hey maybe we don't have to like kill every guy that gets shot but you know they're injured that makes them no longer able to fight takes them off the battlefield in a certain way you can see that as humane other ways not so much but anyway the russians obviously copied that technology and they in 1974 they switched to the AK-74, uh, which is a 5.45 caliber. So we use 5.56. They use 5.45. Um, before that, we both used 30 caliber bullets. So you can kind of see how it's a it's a it's a copycat one following the other. Anyway, so the the, the technology and the purpose is there. So the point in mentioning that is that um, casualty is not just killing people; it's taking them out of the fight for however reason possible. And that's also part of the idea behind uh, utilizing things like chemical weapons in World War II and World War One, really. Uh, World War Two chemical weapons weren't really used, um, but World War One in particular, the idea there was, hey, if we can injure these people without having to actually like fling bullets or bombs or artillery at them, that would be cool. Turns out that's a lot more complicated than World War One. I. I think most of the people that deployed chemical weapons ended up killing or injuring more of their own people than they did the enemy. And uh, basically volatile compounds are, let's just say volatile compounds are a bitch. <laughs> like every, every, uh, every chemist will tell you that. It's like, you know, they're amazing, but at the same time, how do you harness them and how do you use them safely? Uh, we're still working on that. Anyway, so point is, is just a uh, casualty is an important metric to consider because um, in a military that cares about its people uh, and has a, a sense of, uh, uh, responsibility for their own soldiers, you know. We, at least in the U.S., we have the you know the, the Western military tradition in general. We 
We have the concept of no man left behind. And that creates a strain on your resources and your supply lines and, and all that. So the point is, is that uh, uh, the Ukrainians have a lot of casualties. There's no question about it. Um, but they don't really have the deaths. Um, you know, their casualty to death ratio seems to be six, between 6 and 10 to 1. Um, they like, I, th I think according to the Ukrainians, you know, they probably have, you know, legitimately somewhere around 10,000 actual deaths. But the Russians, on the other hand, their casualty to death ratio may be a lot closer together than people would like to acknowledge. And the Ukrainians may be, it's a combination of like your military tradition, uh, what battlefield commanders are allowing people to do, and then also, uh, let's call it the lethality of some of the weapons and and defensive capabilities of, uh, and it's also just the the basic thing of like you know attacker versus defender. Defenders can can withstand uh, more if their infrastructure and logistics are good, and they definitely can get people to hospitals. Where if you're out in the field and you're 500 miles from a solid hospital, like you know you get super messed up, you're you're probably not going to survive. Um, so anyways, there's a lot of factors in play, but the reality is, is, uh, you know, I, I trust the Ukrainian numbers cause they're the ones fighting the war and they've been pretty honest about their numbers, uh, so far in a way that's been verifiable. Um, as of, uh, this week, uh, the Russian deaths are, according to the Ukrainians are up to 90,000. And, you know, if, if they have a three times casualty rate, which I think is probably closer to reality than uh, anything more than that. Um, you know, that's 90, 100, 180,000, you know, you know, we're so talking I want to go two, 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 270,000 dead or, or uh, injured Russians on top of that 90,000. That's their entire professional military at, before the war started. So when people look at these videos of these pathetic Russian conscripts and the, the, the mercenaries. They're mongoloids. And there's a bunch of well, absolute yeah. mongoloid well, midgets and fat tars just, and it's, just drunken <laughs> hobos and, and criminals. It, you it know. looks like the Soviet army from World War II. It's just they're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel to get people in there because what's left of their professional military are being used as rear guard. Uh, let's call them not rear guard. They call them barrier troops. Basically, barrier troops are the guys that sit back and say, uh, oh, you are retreating? Okay, well, then I kill you. And I've seen videos of exactly this. I've seen videos of Russians executing the conscripts who retreated or refused to fight or whatever. Like That's happening. Um, so the thing is, is I, I believe what you said is probably accurate, that there's a downplaying of these Russian casualties uh, to do stuff the potential sympathy factor. Um, because the thing is, the Russian state doesn't care. They don't care that they're they're slaughtering their own population but, to try and slaughter an enemy population. Like, they don't care. But I, I want to the, prove the, you... You know, these elites are sitting back, you know, they're playing... They're, they're, they're playing chess with other people's lives, and, or in the Russia's case, they're probably playing tic-tac-toe. But anyway, they're, they, they don't really... They don't care. And the problem is in the West... People would feel really bad if, you know, NATO munitions are being used to kill off literally an entire generation of Russian people. But the problem is, is like, is our sympathy going to stop the war? No. Like, it's, it's got to, it's 
got to go on. Yeah, well, I want to prove to you that the propaganda goes both ways and that the propaganda of dumbing down the Russian losses is, is real. And I'll, I'm going to prove it right now. Oh, it's definitely real. Yeah, because, and, and that was something that I don't think, <coughs> excuse me, I don't think anybody really understands that you can't believe ABC, NBC, CBS, you can't believe government statistics because it's all designed, everything is designed to be crafted in a way to sell a message. It, it sales, it's sales, propaganda, everything else. So in July, in July of this year, the director of the CIA said that their best estimates, and they're pretty good at this, that 15,000 Russians have been killed and 45,000 have been injured. Okay, now let's go with that. Now, just the other day, they said, well, 100,000 Ukrainians have been killed and, and injured and about 100,000 Russians as well killed and injured. Well, no, no, by the way, that was then pulled back. That was the Europeans that said that. Right. And that was pulled back, and they basically apologized that basically they, they interpreted the information that they were given by their people improperly. But the number went out there. That's right. You know, it, but, but state my, the, uh, preach the lie, whisper the, react, the retraction. Exactly. And, and so when you go to Google, I challenge everybody to do this, Go to Google and search, and you'll see every article for the next 20 pages will say 100, 100, and that's what oh, yeah. it is, okay? So the so point made. Now, follow my logic on this. If we take 15,000 Russians killed in July, and now we, we ramp that up to 100,000, okay, which is what we're, we're thinking more along those lines, right? I mean, that's oh, minimum. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been accelerating pretty okay. dramatically with the introduction of conscripts and the winter weather and the logistical problems that Russia's having, like it's getting pretty ugly. Okay. So, but then using typical ratios that we know. Okay. So if we use the ratios that everybody says war, blah, 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 there should only be 55,000 Russians dead altogether. If we use the traditional metrics, which means that if we go from 15, to 55 in August, September, October, and November. The point being is we've got 120 days where the Ukrainians are killing at the very least, at the very least, 458 Russians every single day. And, and that's pretty accurate, I think. Okay, if they're killing that many every day, understand that we lost 2,456 soldiers in the entire Afghan war theater when we say when we say lost we're talking about deaths. dead we're not, we're not talking about casualties obviously casualties some days you know maybe guys won't catch so much shrapnel and other days it's really ugly because you know you hit a camp it's 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 a it's a it's a yo-yo usually but our our anti-bush we hate republican uh democratic and if you don't like it i don't care because you got the other side you got the alex jones nuts and everybody else and uh, Trump's little pity party uh, Twitter uh, operation. You, you got both sides of this thing, but the point being, you know, you had this drumbeat. It, it, it was like uh, uh, ABC evening, whatever it was with Ted Koppel and, and during Jimmy Carter, they, you know, day 700 of the uh, Iran hostage crisis. And oh, they yeah. just drummed, yeah. you know, Ronald Reagan benefited from Ted Koppel as much as anybody else. Oh, because, yeah. you know, ABC, did, nobody talks about that stuff. ABC, for those of you who don't know this, had a guy, when they had Ted Koppel, and they would just prayed out that one guy who had the, the white rag on his face, and, oh, and yeah. they just drum beat that thing. They, they, they made that a thing. 
And so the news is doing the same thing. Nonstop, we had idiots that would bang uh, uh, gallon drums and do their whistles and everything here in in Ocala, Florida, at the corner of uh, State Road uh, 227th Avenue. And Mm -hmm. as soon as Obama got elected, they all disappeared and were gone, you know. Y'all, y'all gotta just take a moment or two and look at the facts yep. and quit believing all the crapola that they're sending to you. But, so, you un- but, but the Russians, <laughs> going back to this, the Russians are getting their asses handled to the point where it's like a pride, it's like a boxing match where you go time, time. Let the guy go in the corner and recover for a minute because you're gonna kill this guy. Well, so so that's that's actively being tried right now. Um, what is it? Uh, I think we U.S. whatever spoke with the Russians in the past week and basically tried to set up some some uh, circumstances for a uh, peace talks. Peace yeah. talks. And the thing is, is our position, just like the Ukrainian, is the same as the Ukrainians, that we don't respect your annexation or, or theft of Ukrainian territory. You have to leave. It's that simple. You leave, the war's over. And Russia's response is, well... Uh, well, uh, that that those are those are uh, those are not terms that we're willing to agree to. Um, it, it's just a joke. Like it, there there was some crying from one of the Russian like I don't know foreign I don't know if it was Lavrov foreign minister or somebody like that about how you know basically they were they were, for lack of a better term they were just just bitching about how ah uh, the U S so oh, they they won't we, we won't uh, the U S and, and and other European countries won't recognize. Uh, you know, Crimea and uh, Donetsk and Luhansk is, is proper uh, Russian territory. It's like, well, Captain Obvious, Captain Obvious. When when have when has the West, but particularly the U.S., ever recognized anybody else's theft of, of land? That's just not a thing we do. I mean, ever. Um, so it's just silly. Um, but yeah, the the casualties and, and the deaths in particular is ugly. It's ugly, ugly, ugly business over there. I'll give you a couple, one quick thing, and then I want to go and talk about uh, Western China, Eastern China, and QR codes and tie all this together. One of the problems with uh, the Russians is we don't know necessarily who they are and being killed, but we do know that they all have cell phones, and a lot of the Ukrainians have picked up and said, hey, yo, mama, is this your boy? <laughs> and, and how many reports have we seen where mama doesn't really care about her kid being dead, but mama wants to uh, get the cell phone back? Oh, can you send me yeah, uh, Victor's uh, seen, cell phone? I've seen that at least once. That's disturbing. Um, yeah, so it, just as a quick rundown for anybody who doesn't know or whatever, in Ukraine, you would think in a modern war, one of the first things you would do is take out your enemy's ability to uh, have a power infrastructure and run daily living, at least make it painful from the beginning, right? Like we did in Iraq. Take out the power grid take out their communication capability, and then go in, remove the government, be done. No, Russia's plan was to do harassment attacks and then, as most people call it, the thunder run to Kiev and basically go in and use your magical super super ninja special forces to go in and take out Zelensky and the other people in the government. You, you know why we, they now, we now have information that shows... How you know they basically were leveraging the um, Ukrainian Orthodox Church under the Russian uh, uh, whatever you call it um, under under basically under the Russian banner uh, like, like a patriarchate or whatever they call it um, 
they were leveraging that to the hilt, um, utilizing the the churches as uh, points of infiltration and intelligence gathering and funneling money around. Um, that of course got a bunch of controversy in recent days because you know you've got your uh, you've got your Donald Trump Juniors and your other Republican uh, let's call them clown car people are very mad because oh Zelensky's banning the uh, Orthodox Church in Ukraine it's like he's banning Christianity and is going full Stalin he's going to force them to do atheism it's like nah it's just about they're not banning they're not banning it like you would think. They're uh, carefully trying to weed out people who are effectively just intelligence operatives for Russia. And they've had enough time to be able to observe how information is being passed. It's like it's obvious what's going on. So Churches have always been a hotbed for radicalism forever. Or infiltration or passing of messages or of course. course. Like it it totally makes sense. I mean, you go back to the Middle Ages and everything else, you know, the you know, get a robe on somebody and your embassy, your emissaries and everything else, and of course, ambassadors. But they're and also like, oh, viewed as well, don't don't kill the the priest from the the Holy See and all that. Yeah. Well, but they're also viewed as like you know uh, untouchables, mm-hmm. you know, for culturally. So you know, it, it's it makes sense. But but people also don't understand like there's a there's a, a, a Christian Orthodoxy schism going on and has been since 2014 between. The, uh, in in the Ukrainian Orthodox Church between uh, basically this new uh, branch of basically Ukrainian-run, Ukrainian-born Christian Orthodoxy, and then the Russian uh, the the Russian Patriarch and and all that. Of course, another thing, and you know, I've told several people this, and some people think I'm joking, but totally legitimate. Just go do some Googles. Um, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church is this guy by the name of Kirill. He was this is for real, he, folks. Yeah, this so is for he's, real. So he's like the Pope of Russian Orthodoxy. Yep. Yeah. He, um, for one, was a KGB agent during the Soviet Union. No. Yeah. For real? Yeah, shocker, right? Shocker, shocker. And then in recent years, since the fall of the Soviet Union... He became a very, very wealthy uh, cigarette and and alcohol uh, salesman, and by salesman I mean like uh, warlord, <laughs> for lack of a better term. He wasn't standing on a New York sidewalk no. being arrested by NYPD cops. No, no, okay, no. he was. No, this guy uh, was was importing foreign cigarettes and tobacco products and alcohol under the guise of the church. And not paying taxes and all that sort of oh. stuff, and then reselling it, and yeah, so he he what was he calling holy smokes probably. There you go. Probably. That would be a good one. Um, he is a billionaire, of course, or at least was before the war, and he has his own mega yacht. Head of, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. These are the people. These are the people that people like Donald Trump Jr. are defending. Just just remember that. So <laughs> people don't know what's going on. And people who, if they don't know what's going on, they need to shut their mouth and recognize their own ignorance. And if they do know what's going on, they are subversives who, um, let's just say, should not have the influence that they have. So anyway, so you got that going on. Uh, uh, Yeah, I don't even remember where I was going with this because this is like, this entire conflict has opened so many rabbit holes. I just keep getting distracted with like, 
you know, I'm like a dog. My head turns sideways. And I'm like, what? Well, we have. <laughs> How is that even possible? Why we, didn't I know about we, this? We have a, uh, the way we manage money here is we have a virtual war room and we also have a physical war. We, we track things out. We draw, connect the dots. It's no different than a, any kind of investigation for those of you guys and gals from years ago. I don't know what they do today, but, you know, uh, the old school before technology, yeah. you know, uh, if you want to see something to give you a good example of uh, American gangster when they had the pictures of everybody oh, yeah. and you're yeah, stringing, I used to do all that stuff yeah. years ago. And, that, and that, to this day, I do that. Not on that, but we do it digitally and we, yeah. we draw our diagrams and everything. I can't. We cannot connect the dots. It looks like, again, it's well, just Well, you like can a, connect them, but you seem insane when you see the connections <laughs> that you've come up with. I know. And it's, some of it is just so unbelievable. It's like, wow, okay, uh, I need to think about this for a while. Like, am I losing my mind? Nope, the, the information's there. So, yeah, back to what I was saying. That, <laughs> so the, the, they didn't take out the infrastructure in the country. They just were incompetent, to say the least, because they had this amazing... this overwhelming hubris that they would be able to infiltrate execute the politicians literally like we've they have kill lists and stuff you know you know they the the these some of these russian influenced orthodox churches in uh in the recaptured territories um you talk about the munitions and everything well no they've found evidence because of people's phones and 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 what went on um because a lot of these people were like collaborators with the Russians when they right. invaded. And, um, and, and largely that's why the Russians have been able to capture the territory that they have still have left is, is, or did in the beginning is because of collaborators who basically like just, you know, gave wrong information, didn't call up the police and security services and all that sort of stuff. Um, it, so it's, you know, it, it's, it wasn't because of their expert fighting or, or amazing, amazing strategy. It was purely about traitors, um, for the most part. And it's interesting because the uh, in some of these territories, particularly in the the northeast of the country, that have been recaptured, they have been able to prove because of uh, digital communications. Really, these some of these uh, let's call them infiltrators and and uh, and subversives inside of these some of these Orthodox churches. They provided lists of people who they viewed as dissidents among their their church going population. That the Russian soldiers then went and rounded up and executed and put them in the, and buried them in the forest. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! So people don't people in the West don't really understand how gross some of this is. And, and then you know, we go to get the uh, the the priest, minister, rabbi, or whatever, and they claim, "Oh, you can't do that." Yeah, yeah. No. In, in Ukraine, it's like almost entirely. Russian Orthodox, like influenced, or, or I guess they call it Ukrainian Orthodox under the Russian whatever. But yeah. So, anyways, in Ukraine, it's about I think it's like seven, eight thousand churches are under the Ukrainian led Ukrainian Orthodox, and then it's about twelve thousand churches that are under the Russian led Ukrainian Orthodox. Um, or, or not led, but influenced. So there, there's there's a there's a schism there, and it's been going on for a few years, and and some of it has been used for propaganda. But anyway, so back 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 a couple minutes. I I mentioned uh, they didn't take out the infrastructure. So because of this, uh, everybody can still use their cell phones, and part of this is a, kind of a necessity because 
the Russian communications networks are so bad and their technology is so poor um, and they're jamming an amazing electronic warfare capability effectively blinded their own capabilities for communications and caused a mess to occur. So they were relying back in a lot of places on just traditional like cell phones and hoping that like encryption and things would, would help them. Of course, the problem is, is you have a war zone with cell phones. What does uh, your average uh, dummy infantryman do? They call home, they talk to mama, they, they call their girlfriends, their wives, uh, they call their brothers, stuff like that. Listen, that might allow me to triangulate and to do what again? Oh, target, yeah. But the other thing is, is it's also very useful for propaganda. The Ukrainians have known this, and they just let them do it because it's better to get the information than to be in the dark and just like banning them. I know, kind of like social media, huh? Interesting. There's a corollary we could go down another day. Um, it's always a good idea to know. It's better to know what your enemy is doing than to mute them and then have an absolutely no idea what's going on. So in this case, they've been, they've been using some of these uh, phone calls that they intercept and record because they're on their own cell tower infrastructure and stuff. Um, and of course, also, I'm sure there's a lot of hacking and stuff like that going on. They have some of these recordings and some of them have gone around social media and stuff and have become pretty popular. But yeah, so you have things like uh, what you talked about earlier, uh, you know, uh, people talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, you know, they call mom back home because the soldier got captured and she's more interested in the phone because grandpa bought the phone for the grandson and, and Hey, that was expensive. And basically what are you, what are you doing? You know, grandma and grandpa are upset. Like where, where's your, where's your iPhone? It's like they don't care that he's captured. They don't. That doesn't cross their mind. Um, you've got people talking, calling back, talking about, you know, the atrocities that the Russians are committing against their own troops. Um, all of the very disturbing stuff about the rape within the Russian military and the the Chechens raping the Russian soldiers and the Russian soldiers uh, doing stuff to other people and all kinds of other gross things. Um, there's even been a couple of videos that have come out from drones and things. There's a video of uh, some Russians walking through. Of course, this is like, this goes back to like the, you have a cell phone network in a war zone. Like this is, seems like a bad idea uh, unless people have good self-control. But anyway, this is a video of Russians walking through a, a very shitty looking camp to be, to be honest. And uh, they like poke, he's like filming like what's going on. Uh, with like two or three of his buddies and they walk by a tent and they poke in and it's like, it's two Russians sodomizing each other. Um, and they, and they just kind of like look over like, what are you looking at? And they just keep going. It's just gross. Um, then there's that other super famous video. I think I showed it to you a couple months ago of, uh, the same activity going on in a bombed out building. And yeah. The yeah. And the, and the drone flies over him and drops a grenade on him. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's one hell of a way to go out. Yeah. Um, so there's but, but that. Buddies blow up together. Yep. Yep. Oh. But but the best part about it was not really that. Like the individual aspect of it, whatever, who cares? But it's the propaganda value of it. It's like, look, these guys are so incompetent they can't keep their stuff together in the war zone and they're so dumb they got bombed by a drone. Like just just come on, guys. Like get, get your stuff together. So there's a lot of intercepted phone calls and there's a lot of stuff and it, and it really helps give context to what's actually going on on the ground. And the Ukrainians will release these at times when it's uh advantageous for propaganda purposes, of course. Uh, but yeah, so there, there's a lot of uh, things going on in this war zone that we've never seen before. 
We're going to take a quick break. We're going to give another quick uh, shout out to our uh, sponsor, Fixed Cost Financial. We'll be right back right after this. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how, well, you're not going to believe this, but Putin has taken out a contract to kill uh, Mel Gibson and uh, QR codes, dog tags, and uh, Tokyo Rose. We'll tie all that together when we get back. The Paul Truesdale Podcast is sponsored by Fixed Cost Financial, a registered investment advisor and home with fixed cost investing. Fixed Cost Financial is a real alternative to the conflicts of interest, opaque costs, and unexpected fees found in a sea of sameness. The approach is simple, fair, and transparent. You only pay for what you need and always know what you're paying. At Fixed Cost Financial, it's investing and advice done better. Visit FixedCostFinancial.com. That's FixedCostFinancial.com. You'll be glad you did. Let's now continue with the Paul Truesdell podcast. Two Pauls in a pod. So uh, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, Putin took a contract out on Mel Gibson. Do you know why? I know he, according to uh, British propaganda... Uh, pooped his pants and fell down the stairs the other day, but I don't know about Mel Gibson. Yeah, 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 because the Russian invasion was based upon uh, Braveheart and Mad Max. Just to run. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> I was saving that for. Uh, uh, Unfortunately, the Russian military today looks like Mad Max. Yes, but in it the does. beginning, they looked very professional. Yes. So, so Tokyo Rose is the name given to uh, a number of uh, women uh, who spoke uh, English. And they were uh, Japanese in World War II, and they would just uh, have radio stations that just uh, played American music and tell the guys, you know, to uh, to surrender. And whenever they got dog tags, they would just go out and talk to people, and just, they just tried to just destroy everybody san francisco Psy-ups. chronicle yeah classic psyops san francisco chronicle called tokyo rose the matahari of radio and uh if you get a chance uh, you can go to wikipedia and take a look at that it's really interesting uh one of the uh, people that uh was sent to prison an american um her name was iva iva tagori de Koya. And uh, so she was a disc jockey, and uh, she uh, became one of them. And uh, they wound up, wound up getting her. They arrested her when she tried to get back into the U.S. Uh, she was the seventh person in U.S. history to be convicted of treason, eventually paroled in 1956 after serving more than 20 years, and she was given a uh, pardon. Uh, so it is what it is. I don't understand. Some things like that I don't understand. There's some, just a real interesting history about that. Yeah. But um, – I said I'd come back and talk about QR codes and dog tags. Yes. You know, these, these Russians, they can't identify these people. They don't have things like basic fundamental identification on themselves, although they have their driver's license, they have their passports. Yeah, that's the they, thing in the beginning. They, they carry of the, passports. Well, so that's the thing in the beginning. I mean, no the, dog tags. Uh, they got their phones and their passports. I mean, what? And then I want to move yeah. that discussion into QR codes yeah, in China. Absolutely. So you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. So what is with that? Well, well, real quick, the thing that's weird is in the beginning of the war, I remember seeing a lot of pictures of, you know, the things that everybody was kind of analyzing, trying to figure out, like, what in the what in the F is going on? Like, like seriously, like some of this is just, again, it, it, some of the, uh, let's, the clown activity that we talked about domestically. Clown car. It, it, uh-huh. it, the only thing that is, is, like, of any similarity is the clown stuff going on with the Russians. And that's why I think, uh, I mean, that's not why, but there's lots of other evidence. But the, 
it's part of the reason why in hindsight it's like okay I, this kind of makes sense i understand the russian kind of propaganda ops a lot better now cuz man like their brains work totally differently from ours they they they're just not rational people by comparison to us they have an oversized reptilian brain yeah there's eh, there's something else going something. on there uh i think i think anyway overcharged so, amygdala i don't know eh, i think under mm. under undersized there for you sure go. so the but the passports thing we, one of the things we saw a lot of was it was kind of like the uh uh what is it, the 911 hijackers and their magical passports that didn't burn up um that's a joke for those of you who think I'm a I'm a lunatic it's a joke but that actually did happen supposedly uh, well, bel- the believe chief it or of police not police of new york yes, found a driver's chief, license chief, from one of the the chief of police found and then handed off the passport or driver license or something like that for one of the hijackers and handed it to an unknown uh, 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 police officer. Of course, this was, uh, what was his name? Was that Kirk or well, one of those clowns? Is it Bernard Kirk? Is that his, yeah, his one name? of them. I don't remember yeah. anymore. Yeah. Well, anyways, he's the one who went to jail for bribery. So, <laughs> yeah, some parts of the story, or some parts of, some anecdotes about that story really make you go, hmm, that's really weird. Um, really aids the, uh, let's let's say, the conspiracy element to all of this because, you know, it really helped, again, going back to the magical clown car, it really helped people like Alex Jones say that it was it was holograms and lasers. It's like, you, you're insane. Yeah, holograms took out a building. Yep, that's the first time in history. Anyway, um, lunatic asylum, uh, aside from that. So, yeah, the, so the, the passports on, on Russian soldiers, that was weird. I, I, I thought that was very strange. I, I asked some people that... Sh- you know, had more information than me, and everybody's response was, I have absolutely no idea why Russian soldiers have their passports on them. Um, but, you know, there were things like, uh, of course, Russian vehicles not being, uh, let's say, having limited ammunition, but making sure to take, like, their parade uniforms and stuff like that. Um, because, you know, they thought they were going to be marching through uh, Kiev within a couple weeks. Um, you also, of course, had uh, a few Russians, like higher-ranking Russians, who scheduled um, dinner reservations in mm-hmm. Kiev before they invaded? I don't know if you know about that. No. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a lot of weird stuff that happened like that. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, th- there's a lot of weird stuff. And yeah, identifying people in this conflict has been hard to say the least because, you know, Ukrainians are Ukrainians. Um, you know, your, your, your mental model for Russians are Russians, but then you've also got like, you know, Russia's a massive country with a lot of ethnic groups and, you know, you've got Chechens, well, you know, that's different. You can identify a Chechen dying in, in, in Ukraine based on uniform and context and, and what they look like is pretty easy. Uh, if you've got some like a very far Eastern people. Uh, that's kind of easy to identify. There's not a lot of those in the Ukrainian military, but yeah, there's just a lot of weird stuff that goes on there. So um, we got dog tags and um, dog tags are important. I'm not sure what they're doing right now. I'm not going to get into that, but uh, you, know, you got digital data, you have uh, all sorts of QR code type things, etc. cetera. Um, in the United States, um, QR codes are beginning, now I mean this very sincerely, beginning to be understood and recognized. I've done a lot of the event management and event engagement. 
And uh, when people hand out business cards, mine says my name, Paul Truesdale. So there's nothing else on it. And when people are like, well, what goes on? I'll send that person my um, contact card. Uh, very simple. Sure. Or I'll have a QR code and it goes to a page on our website where it has all my contact information, explains who I am, what I do, and how to get a hold of me. And I'm not going to waste time yeah. with people who are deadbeats. Real simple stuff. QR codes, phones. Okay, so we talked about uh, technology. We talked about things, uh, the stealth bomber. We talked about all sorts of things. We're talking about strategic and carpet bombing and just, I mean, we really, really went through it. Now let's go to, to China. Let's move into China, phones, COVID, lockdowns, Western China, Eastern China, and how if you think everything should be digital, that you should get rid of the physical currency of a country, that everything's kumbaya, that your medical records are always going to be accurate, that nobody's going to screw with you. Don't go to China. Don't go to China. Yeah, so I guess I guess we'll roll into like China and how they've handled COVID and that sort of stuff. Um, obviously, China has been viewed for by a lot of people, especially among kind of like your big... Uh, your big government types is, oh, they're, they've done such a great job managing COVID. Well, the problem is, of course, they don't trust our vaccine. The Russian vaccine doesn't really work. Chinese vaccine definitely doesn't work. And our vaccines are questionable these days anyways. Uh, if, you, if, you even, if you even agree that they worked in the first place, which is, again, questionable. An another another um, day, we've already talked about this, so for all of you who yeah. want to talk about or you're looking for us to now go into the well, the, not, the the history of COVID and yeah. virus, we're not going to do that. We're, no, we're going we're to focus on, I'm just, we're going to talk about life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness when it comes to activities that you need to look at it differently. Fair enough? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just covering the bases here for, you know, at least in the West, whether you're a whatever your opinion on the topic is, the uh, Western vaccines at least have some amount of efficacy. Not going to debate it. It is what it is. Um, but the Chinese vaccine may have had some efficacy in the beginning, but definitely they haven't figured... They're, they've, they've lost it. it. It basically doesn't work now um, against the modern strains. So the reason they've had such a, let's call it a fantastic success dealing with COVID is because of their lockdown policies. They recognize a case. They lock everybody down that this person had, could, could have even potentially had contact with and then keep it from spreading, which is, of course, how uh, everybody in the West wanted to handle it. And, uh, yeah, that didn't work out so well. So um, we're now at a point where, you know, China, China's big issue is they don't have any herd immunity to this at all, or at least a very minimal amount. And they would basically have to go through COVID from the beginning to get some amount of herd immunity. Well, the problem is, is even with a less deadly strain and it being a little bit more watered down and that sort of stuff, you're still dealing with potentially hundreds of thousands or millions of people dying from this because it is effectively starting from scratch again. And obviously the Chinese medical, not obviously, people actually don't know this. The Chinese medical system is horrific. It's draconian and very very backward um no they don't have universal health care like people think it's just it's terrible anybody who's lived in china will tell you that um let's say the so the, one of the ways they've been able to manage the the 
lockdowns and whatever is they've basically made it a rule that you basically can't go anywhere without your phone. And the reason you can't is because you have to have this app on your phone that is a COVID QR code, basically. So your identity is tied to this app. I think it's through one of the like the social networks. I don't remember which one, um, but it's got a uh, it's it's got a cute. You've got a section you can go to. It's tied with your identity. It tracks you everywhere you go. Uploads it to the CCP. CCP meaning the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, you know, people tracker cloud or something. And then you've got this QR code, and this QR code is uh, the screen uh, around the QR code is can potentially be one of three colors. It can be green, which means you are clear to go and do whatever you want to do. Uh, it's yellow, where there's a certain amount of restriction. Um, that restriction may be that you can't leave your neighborhood or something like that. And then there's red, where you're locked down. You can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. When your QR code changes status... Um, then you basically get a little grace period to be able to uh, get back to where you're supposed to be, right? Right. Pretty, pretty simple system. But the thing is, what is the point of the QR code? That's one thing I don't think a lot of people have seen. Uh, you guys, if you're more interested in this, go look at YouTube. Go find some YouTubers who have been in China. Who who have? Uh, I'm sure there's some probably some pretty good articles. The mainstream media has not covered this because. A lot of these types of things are conspiracy theories in the West. People talked about, oh, no, they want to do X, Y, and Z. They want to they want to control you and track you everywhere you go. But the reality is, in China, it is a reality. That is how it has been done. They have used COVID very effectively to be able to completely control the population. So in China, you've got this QR code thing on your phone and your status as to where you can go and what your, what your travel restrictions are. Um, you know, that's, that's the thing. But your QR code is used to give you access to anything, basically. To get into your apartment building, to get into the gas station, to go to the grocery store, to go to your doctor's office, to get into your office building, to do literally anything, to get your kids from preschool, to be able to to go on the metro or to public transportation. Um, anything and everything you do requires they have retrofitted of at least western china and most of the big cities and stuff every single thing like this um has these qr code scanning uh basically smart devices everywhere to let people in or out and then on top of it you also have covid testing regimens that have been in place so i think on average every three days you have to go get a pcr test so there's COVID testing facilities everywhere. They're like these little police booths. There's, there's millions of these things everywhere. And the thing I think is important to remember is for years, the West in particular have been um, complaining to no effect about the, Jin, uh, the uh, I just lost the name of it, the far, the Jin something. Anyways, the far Western province of China where the Uyghurs uh, the Muslim uh, minority kind of like Turkic people that are kind of like a mix between Turkic and uh, Chinese people. And uh, they're, they're mostly Muslim. Um, Xinjiang, something like that yeah. province, something like that. Anyways, and the Chinese uh, started uh, basically putting building concentration camps 
in some cases, these concentration camps or, uh, or, or, uh, yeah, these, these facilities in some cases are literally surrounded by farms that are in fenced and they, I'm not joking. It is like they're playing, uh, like a history simulator. Some of these things are literally, literally have cotton fields around them and they force them to go out like slave labor. Like it's like pre U S civil war with their slaves to go pick cotton. It's very weird. Anyway, they, they did this to subjugate and control the Uyghur people who were viewed as, um, well, they viewed, they viewed them as subhumans because they're, they're not Han Chinese. But then on top of it, because they were Muslim, they viewed them as potentially very subversive. Right, and immediately we have a lot of uh, Trumper-type people who are like, well, they're Muslims, they're bad, so whatever happens oh, yeah. to well, them. That's, that's stupid. You no, know, but that's but we need to bring that up because that is a really damn problem. Yeah, among certain people, I'm sure that's a that's a, that's their take on it. But anyway, so the uh, so they live in the Tamara Basin. It's the it's the uh, it's way I can, I west. Can, yeah, yeah. I can I can spell it. I can't say it. It's X I N J I A N G. Yeah, is Jin Yang or Jin Yang or something like that? Yeah. So. Uh, uh, You've got this going on. This this has been going on for years. And one of the things they implemented in those regions was lots of, um, let's call them funnels. They, they implemented these QR code scanning things. They made it illegal for you to travel anywhere without your phone so you could scan your QR code. And if you were viewed as subversive, you know, your the joke online for years has been the, your Chinese social credit score. Uh, if it was too low, you know, you couldn't go and do things. And, and it wasn't exactly like that, but basically if they identified you as somebody who was uh, uh, subversive or said something bad on, Chinese, on social media or something like that, they would then tell you, oh, well, now you can't leave your neighborhood. And like you tried to get on a bus that went outside your neighborhood and your QR code wouldn't scan. And if you were caught outside of these areas that were where you were, were restricted and allowed to be, uh, they would arrest you and send you to one of these uh, big, uh, uh, they call them re-education camps, um, where they would uh, uh, do all kinds of stuff to, quote-unquote, rehabilitate you into being a proper Chinese person. Um, and, of course, things that they would do in these facilities were they would uh, force-feed you alcohol, uh, force-feed you pig products, um, pig fat and, uh, and pork and things like that. Of course, both of those things being, according to... Uh, uh, let's call it more traditional Muslim uh, religious followers being uh, haram, uh, being bad mm-hmm. um, against the religious practices. Um, so they're humiliation rituals, of course. Um, but the other th- crazy stories, obviously, there's the utilization of them as slave labor for economic gain. Um, but the other thing that there was some other stuff that was just wacky was they called them like the iron suits where they would strap basically like a suit of armor on these people that was really heavy. And they would uh, basically, if you were bad and you didn't re-educate properly, oh, they would force you to read uh, uh, Xi Jinping's... Comic book? Uh, yeah, his like, his like little propaganda book. Um, they would force you to like learn and recite and write papers about how great the CCP is and how Mao is the greatest uh, as a deity and he's the greatest man to ever live and stuff like that. Um a to- total propaganda brainwashing operation, but it's not just like with a small population. I mean, they did, they, they did this and were doing the, and are doing this with hundreds of thousands of people. 
Um, and uh, let me repeat that: hundreds of thousands. We're talking of people that are in these oh, yeah. gulags. That's what they are. And they're not like gulags like like Russia, like, oh, you're gonna go break rocks until you're rehabilitated. They're concentration camps. But they are legitimate like concentration camps. And, you know, there's they they also, you know, the more extreme elements of these stories are that, you know, Chinese prisons are well known for organ trafficking. So you go to jail for because you're a bad person in China and they cut your uh let's call them redundant organs out for the purposes of uh black market stuff, but also, you know, because a CCP member needs a, you know, he, a party member needs a, needs a new kidney or something. So, um, obviously there's also even more extreme versions of this where they're like, ah, you, uh, we're going to sentence you to death because, you know, you were, you were terrible propagandist and then they harvest, you know, your heart and stuff for, for high ranking people. There's gross stuff. Well, and the, the other thing is we should, we're not going to talk but, about uh, it, but the, 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 um, the, um, incineration, well, yeah. I mean, then there's then there's the straight up disappearing of people, yeah. and a lot of these facilities have facilities to cremate people. Obviously, uh, in today's environment, due to logistics and sanitation and stuff, uh, there's really not a real good reason to have these types of facilities at a prison. I don't think. Uh, I don't know of any old people home anywhere in the U.S. that has an on-site incinerator for the purposes of cremating anybody. Uh, that's a secondary service that uh, uh, the person dies. They they send them. The, they get they they get sent. The state looks at them. Uh, they determine if it was a, a reasonable cause of death and all that sort of stuff. Was there any foul play? And then they pass them off to a uh, funeral home and then they either bury them or incinerate them and separately. Right? I mean, we have a dedicated process and there's all these procedures and everything. Um, we don't have people that go to prison that just disappear. So, uh, or if they do, they have escaped. They're 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 getting rid of their they're they're getting rid of their unwanteds. That's that's a real thing in life. And so you track that sort of thing. And and the Uyghurs, the population is going down. Yeah, here's the thing. Like for example, if you go to Wikipedia, Wikipedia has a whole thing about the Uyghurs. Okay, they do, but they only say that there's just one paragraph, and it's very very poorly written. That says there is a Reports of mental torture, slave labor, massive displacement, sterilization, separation from children, but but activists are criticized um, because they can't prove the genocide, but and the and the UN won't call it genocide. That's it. That's all. That's all there is to it. Nobody really digs into this, and I find it appalling. I just do. Yeah, the, well, of course, both sides have to, you know, have their have their say about how it works, whatever. Uh, you know, it's going on. You, there's there, where there's tons of smoke, and where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, there's plenty of interviews of people who've been through these facilities. They can't all be propaganda, so it is what it is. So the point in in in, in this in in bringing any of this up is that this all was like the trial run for how they were going to implement this across the entire country. So no, this isn't just uh, this. They knew they could get away with it, deal, targeting specifically these ethnic minorities and whatever. Well, now nobody cares because now everybody's subject to these rules. It's not just the Uyghurs, and now you have the entire country that's subject to this to this crap. Um, so now you know you, you you go from your apartment to work, and you know you leave your apartment building. You got to scan your code, otherwise you can't leave. 
And then, you know, you go get on a bus and you got to scan it to get on the bus. And then you take, you know, you go to the bus to the metro and maybe you take that for a couple blocks. And then, you know, you got to scan to get on the metro, get in and get out. And then, you know, you got to scan to get into your office building. And then, you know, maybe your, your division has a separate scanning place because, you know, they separate you based on, uh, you know, the different areas uh, you all work or, or live or something. And then, you know, you leave, so you got to scan the building to leave. And then you got to go to the gro- you go to a restaurant and you scan to go into the restaurant. Oh, I want to go get a coffee on the way back to work from lunchtime. And oh, I got to go scan there and go scan and go scan and go scan. So now they know everywhere you've been all day, every day, down to the foot. Not just because of where your cell phone's been or, or whose cell phone you've been nearby, but also because of every building or every transportation method or any of that stuff that you've scanned to go into. So it's important to understand this because it's pretty dystopian in the view of most people in the West. And the Chinese have just taken this because it's like, well, we've got to do it because of COVID. So, you know, that's just how it goes. Um, so, uh, and so you had a lot of yeah. people, for example, let's talk about what, what, what kicked it off. They're, they're not protesting the government. No. They're protesting COVID and the procedures and Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. Yeah, yeah, I can't stand saying his name. So the bottom line, they're protesting that, and he's basically reinstituted the uh, uh, bigger-than-life Maoist-type approach to government. Uh, he's, he's the big man on campus. But t- tell a little bit about what the apartment yeah, so, complex so, stuff. So the thing that has been going on in China is is they're continuing to have lockdowns. Lockdowns are proceeding. Oh, no, you uh, went through this market area and you were within a couple feet of somebody that may also have COVID. So then what happens is is you're going home or doing whatever you're doing, and all of a sudden your QR code goes from yellow because, you know, you couldn't leave your neighborhood to begin with because there was a scare going on. Now it's red and you've got like, you know, an hour or two to get home. And lock yourself in because you're not going to be able to leave your apartment for like two weeks, three weeks. Uh, I, I have a couple of podcasts and things I follow. Uh, the guy talked about um, uh, how like a friend of his in Beijing or Shanghai uh, had been locked in his apartment for like 56 days. Um, and we're talking, they're not getting Uber Eats. Yeah, there's, there's a, well, some people are able to get stuff. But the problem is, is a lot of people aren't, especially people who don't have resources to do so so you know you also have a a situation going on where you know oh crap my code turned over red i'm gonna have to run home well i gotta go get my kids from daycare then i need to stock up on groceries and other things i might need for the next you know potentially two to four six eight weeks um but i have to do that in two hours like so there's tons of videos of this happening where an entire zone of a city goes under what they call soft lockdown because they didn't lock down the whole city. They just locked down, you know, a section of the city. Well, it creates a run on every store that exists as everybody's like the shelves in the place is like literally empty as everybody's trying to gather as much stuff as they can because, you know, uh, otherwise they're going to starve. And there's been a lot of cases of exactly that happening where people literally just starve to death and nobody cares because it's like, you know. Okay, so we have people that are locked down in high rises. They starve to death. We know that for a fact. We have some people who go nuts, so they throw themselves out out the windows because they're going to die. Lots of suicides. And then you have mental illness, and they they, they start a fire, and what happens? So, so we're we're jumping ahead. But the so then you're dealing with so now that you kind of understand how the issues are going on here, and, and the lockdowns have kind of intensified because there's been some more additional breakouts in the past couple months. 
And it's just the whole situation is a mess. So now you're dealing with um, worker disputes. That's where this, that's where the current situation in China originated, is worker disputes. These worker disputes are primarily with, uh, at least the ones that got publicized were with Foxconn and some other major technology assemblers and manufacturers. So that's going on. Um, it largely went around how they handled COVID policies. That's kind of interesting. There's a lot of stuff you could talk about there, but we'll just kind of gloss over it for now. Um, basically, the companies or people that have come in to basically monitor the companies are implementing COVID policies. Um, the same thing as any other place, but the, the policies work differently because all these people are working and living so close together. A lot of these facilities have on-site living accommodations, kind of like company towns. And, uh, you know, you may work in a facility and live in a dorm with like, you know, 8, 10, 15, 16 other people. Um, that uh, problem is obviously that if you are in very close proximity to other people, somebody gets COVID, then, you know, everybody gets locked down. Uh, some of these uh, facilities are, are over-provisioned for capacity because you have all these different shifts for work. And so uh, if, if an entire living quarter is locked down, you know, some of these rooms may be over capacity due to the multi-shift and uh, kind of view it like, a, like some of the old school Navy ships where they didn't ag exactly have enough bed capacity for every single person. So, you know, you're on for 12 and off for 12. And, you know, so you share, you literally share a bed with somebody because, you know, you're never going to be in the same place at the same time. Submarines. Yeah. So, uh, you know, some of this stuff is taken to that extreme and some of these uh, less, uh, less, less nice, let's say, manufacturing companies. Well, uh, there was a worker dispute because there were some people that got COVID and at least the rumor is I never saw any good evidence for it, but the people that work there believe it and that's all that really matters is uh, there was some people who were locked in an apartment or, or, or living quarters because somebody had COVID and whatever, and they were locked in there for like two weeks, and uh, basically a bunch of people died. Um, then there was also some anger about some more draconian policies having to do with uh, how they handled COVID stuff. And of course, China thinks still that uh, COVID is on like every surface. In the early days of COVID, like people thought that because of certain studies we and things that. that came out. We, so, you know, people did more disinfection yep. than was necessary and things like that. We learned it doesn't really live that long on surfaces and it's very difficult to transmit. So not a big deal. Uh, China still like disinfects their streets and goes crazy. Well, so overreaction from potential COVID, uh, these, these uh, let's call them uh, COVID medical people would come into these apartments and they would basically take everybody's possessions and uh, destroy them or burn them. And of course, a lot of these people were that work in these facilities under these types of terrible conditions are, let's call them, poorer uh, Western Chinese people who come into these cities to make a bunch of money. You know, in a two or three years, they make as much money as they could make in a lifetime way out west. So they work in these conditions, they save a lot of their money, and then they go back and they, they acquire some resources and they go back home. Well, because people's stuff was being destroyed and being stolen from them and the lockdown conditions and potential risk of death, as well as there was some pay disputes, uh, there was basically like a, like a Chinese factory equivalent of a mass walkout 
couple of weeks ago where literally tens of thousands of people said, screw this, I'm going home. And they tried to keep them there, but they overwhelmed the police force and capabilities. And they literally just took their stuff, got their possessions in their bags, and they literally just started walking down these like giant highways out of these giant manufacturing facilities back home. And there were videos of people like hitching rides on like, you know, a truck that was dragging a bunch of chickens down the highway and people hanging onto the back of like, uh, you know, trucks and vehicles and vans and things. So basically the, the, the worker force in a lot of these places, like just literally walked out. Like, but the big down. thing is they're going West. Generally speaking, they're going more rural yep. and the QR code enforcement of being able to do anything is not it's, the same. It's a lot less, the more rural, the less sophisticated you get. And so that's important because I don't know the exact numbers, but China is basically 50-50. Half the population, it seems, based on some old numbers that I remember reading. I mean, it may be worse now, but it's like half the population lives in the coastal cities where most of the manufacturing and all the major jobs are and, you know, the glass-covered high-rises and the very dense housing and, and you know, where the real business of the country really happens. Obviously, that's creeping west, but, you know... The major metros is the simple way to put it. And then about half the population lives in less sophisticated, less high-tech. Um, some of them have pretty big cities, but they're just like less industrialized, to say. Um, so there's that. And so the further west you go, especially for the more rural people that would work under the more kind of slave-like conditions at these factories, these some of these people are really rural. Like we're talking, you know we still use outhouses type rural. And so for these people, like, yeah, they're not going back anywhere where they need to scan their QR codes. So it's, it's, it, it becomes harder to enforce things on these. So yeah, you had that happen. Uh, these factories then went and recruited new people and they filled them up. And then there wasn't, there was another worker dispute that happened a couple weeks later. And this turned into a riot and these people were mad, not over, conditions but they were mad over pay because apparently the in order to get all these new people to come work you know to assemble your iphones and your android phones and your computers and stuff like that and there's um, let me stop you there's a it, this is an important point which we're not making any kind of prognostication recommendation or forecast but remember what he just said the assembly of your iphone your ipad your all all technology stuff yeah. especially apple remember when you have worker discontent that could be a problem. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so Foxconn, knowing the value of, of, of a problematic situation of not being able to do this stuff, they went out and they offered much better salaries and, and, and pay to some of these people to get good workers back, not really to come back because the people that left basically disappeared from what I heard, uh, but to get new workers to come in and run those roles. Well, then the problem was is they apparently management like effectively lied on paper, uh, like on advertisement, they said they would pay them these things, but they were actually just only willing to pay them what the old people got paid. So then apparently there was enough discontent about that, that they then rioted. And there was some videos of them like, you know, breaking stuff and destroying things and fighting with the police and stuff. Well, so while that was happening, there was a, a live stream or video or something um, that didn't get censored because it was on a weekend. And the thing is, is the Chinese have this horrific censorship regime with their great firewall of China. And basically their internet is very different from ours because it's connected, but not really. It's, it's weird, but lots of heavy censorship on all the platforms, um, stuff that makes the censorship and, and uh, stuff that Twitter and Facebook and people like that have done 
it makes that stuff look tame by comparison. Um, so, but just like anything else, you know, less people work on the weekends, right? And the issue here is that there was a live stream that stayed up for way a little more time than it normally would. And it was a vid, it was a live stream video of some of it was some of the protests and that got people excited. And then there was also something that made people really mad. And this is a thing that there's, I've heard lots of stories about this and there's been some videos that have come out, but there was this one that really got amplified really quickly and it resonated with people. And it was a video of an apartment block that was under COVID lockdown, red QR code lockdown. Can't leave. And in some of these cases, if they don't have the QR code like scanning capabilities, what do they have? They have people that come by and literally like put bars over the windows and the door and you can't leave. Like like literally welding them into the to the buildings. Well, um, either somebody went crazy or somebody had an accident. One you know, no way to prove it. And one of these big apartment blocks catches on fire. And again, there's been multiple cases of things like this happening. Like, you know, somebody has a heart attack or a kid gets sick or something. They can't get them to the hospital. Um, fires, things like that. This would be one, as simple as somebody cooking and they, or they, they're smoking and they yep. just pass out no food. It, bed starts on fire. Kitchen yeah. starts on fire. No but, fire. It done. Yeah. But, but in this particular case, the, the, it's caught on video or live stream, I think. And it got amplified well beyond these other incidents that like we know about. And this one was an apartment building full of people burning alive. Basically everybody died. And there, the, the live stream is a woman crying as she's filming this or live streaming this. And there's just, just the worst, most horrific screams of people dying. Like they're freaking out. And of course, people in the higher up portions of the building, much like we, uh, much like a uh, 9-11, uh, people were jumping out of the buildings, you know, committing suicide and stuff. So it was really gross stuff. Um, um, and, and just for the record, I had an opportunity as a law enforcement officer in Tampa where I had a traffic fatality where a dump truck hit a car on the Courtney Campbell Causeway and killed uh, two people, four people rather. Yeah. The, the two in front died immediately. The two in the back were burned up and I had to... Um, I had to watch it. Deal with uh, it. Yeah. My fire extinguisher. Uh, when you talk about, by the way, you can see I got goosebumps. It, it just, it is, it is, um, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. Terrible. I mean, yeah. Birth ain't pretty. Death ain't pretty. And sometimes life in between ain't pretty. So I, I, I can only imagine what that's like. Yeah. So well, I can't imagine. So, I would, I've been there. Well, but I mean, one or two people is a lot different from an, an entire, entire building. building full of people that are locked in, and, welded in. Yeah, that's, I mean, th- there's no, it, it's insane. No, it's insane. no government could su- 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 survive that in the press. No, except for in China. Well, it, in Russia. Well, and even in China, like it's, it's, they're having issues, right? So, so this got amplified in the middle of these worker protests and they, Basically, the protesters got even more mad. And, and like you said earlier, I mean, it's 100% true. They're not necessarily mad at the government, but they're mad at like the policy and Xi Jinping in some cases. In some cases, they're, oh, we love Xi, but he, you know, bad policy. We need this to end. In other cases, there were some people that were protesting and saying, you know, Xi should resign, whatever. Uh, but Every because one of, of those people are walking dead. Yeah, and and that's the thing is like there's I don't have a full picture as to the outcome of all of this and the follow up on like how this is progressing or not, 
but uh, the utilization of these QR codes, you know, they're they're using those not just for for COVID anymore. They're using them for crowd control. So now, you know, protesters that go to an area to go protest, they're turning their codes red, and you know, they have a limited amount of time to get back home. Um, then they basically permanently like force them to stay in their homes because they're methodically going through, um, much like uh, the our government did with like the January six people. And they're going through and identifying every single person that was in these protests and they're hunting them down and they're dragging them off to prisons. There's some videos of uh, police, you know, uh, brutally beating people and doing stuff. Um, you, you, but, you actually, I was going to, I was going to bring that up. You, you beat me to the punch, but, and that's something I, I always like to relate things locally, you know, for all of you who, who are all upset about the January 6th event, the, the overtake of the uh, Capitol and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to get in. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, you know, you, you know, I'm just not going to get into it. it. The thing that you need to understand that technology is, um, is what it is. And okay. So these, these people go home and it is just very methodical. Your federal agents are going to very methodically round one after another, after another, they're going to go in with overwhelming superior force. They're not going to be like local cops where one guy goes in, okay, Bob, you know, yeah, threaten the governor. We got to take you in. No, this is going to be, you know, overwhelming force. It's a big show. And then because there's so many, um, and then you coordinate with the public relations and it's just a shutdown. So in China, it's a little bit different. All those people that, uh, you know, raise Holy Cain, uh, that's what I brought up about the Uyghurs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're just going to whoop. Uh, we're going to do a little rendition on them. They're kind of gone. Yeah, they're going to send them to bye camps. Bye-bye, and, and then we're going to fry is, you up, and you become uh, you know, cornmeal for uh, the, the cotton fields. Yeah, and so you know, across China now, they, have, they probably have facilities for 10 million people for COVID camps now or more. So you know, th- this, is, this is very rapidly approaching like, uh, like a modern, uh, uh, let's, call it a, let's call it a modern Germany-type situation. And, you know, what are the extremes of this? I don't know, but it is, it's happening before our eyes. And a lot of people for a lot of time for the past couple of years have been kind of like, well, that's just what they have to do. No, BS. But the, but um, but the other thing, hands hand, the other thing is, let's go back to that Alex Jones thing. Cause we talked about that several hours back. You know, you get radical, you get these nut jobs like Alex Jones. Okay. And like, oh, they've got all these internment camps. They're going to, here in the U.S. Remember, it was all. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you get people go, ain't no way. I am yeah. so sick and tired of hearing Alex Jones and they're going to lock everybody up and all this stuff. And then right before your very eyes, it is going on. Yeah, but at the same time, what does Alex Jones have on? He's got Kanye West and he's got his gaggle of clowns. And what are these gaggle of clowns and Kanye West now known for? Oh, what are they? They're now being known for Holocaust denial because some of them actually are. They're, they're Holocaust deniers. Well, that's damn convenient for propaganda purposes, isn't it? Very. China running a modern literal holocaust against their own people and and ethnic minorities. That's the other thing is talk I've listened to a lot of podcasts and 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 I don't really know a ton of people, but but there's a lot of people doing a lot of good like open source work about China. Um there's a there's a handful of guys and and women who used to live in China who got out like around the time covid stuff started getting really crazy. Um, and they've been doing a lot of good work doing YouTube videos and podcasts and things. And it's really baffling because 
uh, in the West, everybody thinks, oh, well, China's uh, Han Chinese and everybody's the same. That's like, that's, that's make-believe. There, that's like saying everybody in the U.S. is a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant or Catholic. Nope. Well, no, that's like saying, it's, it is very similar to, to saying that, well, the United States is a white country. It's like, what does that even mean? You've got, you've got, you've never got, has been, you've got British, you've got, you've got your kind of like founding stock of the country, right? Your, your Anglo Protestants, right? But you know, since, since the founding of the country, we have, uh, slaves from Africa. We have, uh, the natives, there's segments of natives and even them don't get along very well. Uh, you know, we fight like cats and dogs. They do too, or at least they used to, right? Um, you know, you got your Central Americans, South Americans. You got your different groups of South Americans. Some well, of the them Sioux don't get along. The Sioux and the Comanche fought for yeah. years. You, you've got you've got different Indian tribes. Uh, you know, Native Native American Indian tribes. Um, obviously, you know, fast forward to the middle of the uh, 19th century, you've got some Chinese immigrants who built railroads and stuff like that. Um, you know, you've got Irish immigrants, Scottish immigrants, <laughs> Germ- tons of German immigrants. I mean, so, so many German immigrants to the point that. In World War II, they were one of the calculations that was being done was trying to figure out if we would even be able to intervene to help Britain in World War II because there were so many Germans in the United States. I think it was like seventy percent of the population could trace part of their ancestry to Germany. Yeah, you, um, let me okay, let me jump you in. Know, you know, and of course now in modern context, you've got you know people from damn near every country that live in the United States. It's always been kind of a melting it pot, is a melting pot. hodgepodge group. But the point is, is like you just take the you just take the quote unquote white people, whatever that means, and you say, "Oh, we have one racial group. We are white." Obviously, not true, but like just take take it for face value. And then what we do is we then over propaganda over a period of time, we then propagandize and say, "Well, the Native Americans were white too." Oh well, uh, uh, so are so are Hispanics and, and Central and South Americans. Yeah, they're they're basically white too. So what you do is you then kind of bulk all these people who are almost exactly the, uh, or at least uh, culturally the same, into the, an ethnic group. Is so that's basically what they've done. Is in China, it's it's a country of hundreds of unique ethnic groups. And of course, when Mao got in, and uh, I, you know, I'm 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 speaking very loosely here. People that understand more of this could probably add more information. But on a very surface overview, uh, when when Mao got into power and kind of took over the the country, uh, they shredded the historical culture of China. Literally destroyed, burned, uh, blew up monuments, uh, especially religious stuff, Buddhist stuff, uh, traditional Chinese religions, things like that. Wiped this stuff out. Um, there's even areas in China that they have or had uh, what people believe based on scans, like uh, satellite scans of things that look like pyramids, which would make sense based on the advancement of their culture in the different time it's periods. It's a whole other podcast that will go on oh, for yeah. hours. <laughs> and again, this is purely hypothetical because we don't know. But there's areas where there's believed to be like a lot of really ancient like uh, architecture and pyramids and things like that potentially and Mao's military people they just went in and they would like cover the thing in dirt and built trees and like cover it up so it disappeared so because the only thing that could exist is wouldn't be a place in Ohio like that would there be no um but but the 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 point is is that they that there is no culture there is no a greater 
uh, thing than the, the Chinese Communist Party. And that was the point. It was to white out anything in the history. The only thing that's there is the modern-day government. And the, they basically did the same thing with, uh, and by, by doing all that, that then translates into what they've done with the, the ethnic population. So now you have, you know, you can go to different areas of China and tell, like, yeah, I mean, they're all Asian. They're all, like, they look Chinese, but there's, like, there's a gradient. Like, they look, like, you you look slightly different. Like, you don't all look the same. Like, there's there's a, you know, it's no different than go look at, like, a, I mean, even a country that's uh, fairly close together. Go look at people in, like, eastern Germany and northern Germany and in western Germany or, or England, right? Uh, or British Isles, really, you know, Scottish and Irish and... Welsh and English and Eastern English versus Western English, North, South, you know, everybody, they all look a little bit different. It's just, it's how things work out. The point is in China, China's a massive country with, like I said, potentially hundreds of ethnic, different ethnic groups that their individual identities were completely scraped off the face of the earth because of Mao's cultural evolution and everything they did. And so because of that, everybody's Han Chinese, whatever the, whatever that means. And the people that didn't conform got the boot. And one of the last groups of people to get the boot were the uh, Mongolians in, uh, in Chinese Mongolia, which if you look at an old map of, uh, in the overlay and see, mm -hmm. there's a, like roughly half of what Mongolia was, probably most of the population of, of the Mongolian people are actually trapped in China. Um, Mongolia, the country today, is actually fairly uh, lightly populated, and but they do retain their own culture. They're they're interesting, very very interesting people. But uh, yeah, so you know, and then the other ones, they they've they've been able to stamp those out uh, their their ethnic individuality out pretty pretty well. But then the last one to really be a major problem for China were the Uyghurs, and you know. Uh, for you know, that's they they tested their modern kind of uh, population control policies, and then not even tested. They developed them to deal with them, and they were so effective by utilizing smartphones and surveillance and the modern police state that when COVID came around, that was a great excuse to then expand it to the entire country. And now, you know, it's 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 a dystopian hellscape. There's no other way to describe it. It's it's terrible. You know, I, 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 we're going to wrap up on this. I, we've been doing this for quite a while. Uh, just a real quick item here. For those of you who are not familiar with the Paul Truesdale podcast, Two Pauls in a Pod, we're on all of the um, podcast networks, and we've got some cool things that are coming up. But the reality in life is the overwhelming majority of people who talk about things, in my opinion, on your alphabet, lamestream media, your your talking heads, your influencers and I can go on for hours on this stuff. They don't dig into the details. They don't dig deep. And we did that in this podcast. We've, we, we've gone deep. I, I, would, I would hope you would say so. Yeah. And But look at how we connected things. And you've got to look at things from a propaganda standpoint. There's no such thing as news. There just isn't. Everybody's got an opinion on it. But you should be concerned about that phone that you have. You should be concerned about QR codes. You should be concerned about the long reach of, the, of Big Brother who can take you away in the middle of the night and off you go. There's been movies, Jodie Foster, you know, yo, you're, you're an Arab, you're Muslim, oh, we're going to take you to a secret spot and terrorize you and figure, you know, our country is the well, most gotta, humane and out what, there. What's the, um, 
what's the one about NSA and uh, what's his name? Will Smith is in it. Enemy, Enemy of the, of the state. state. Yeah. That, that goes way back. Yeah. Or how about, how I mean, about obviously that's an exaggeration of the things that were capable back then, but it shows you like, but how about Sandra Bullock and uh, Miller, Dennis Miller? Yeah. You know, there, but the point is like so many of those things that you sit back and go, Holy oh, crap. Yeah. Ola. Was that ever, were they just get, getting us conditioned for it? Well, I mean, I mean, seriously. Maybe, but at the same time, like, you know, it's just dystopian kind of terror movies are, are interesting. But but the other aspect to it is, like, in the U.S., people for years have viewed people who, who talk about these things as crazy. They're kooks, they're conspiracy theorists, they're whack jobs, whatever. And a lot of them are. A lot of them are crazy, to say to Well, say the ones least. that make the news but, are, are wackadoodles. But the thing is, is, like, the discussion of these things is potential outcomes of the or consequences of, of the utilization of certain technologies and things are important to talk about because it helps people uh, prevent those scary outcomes from happening. It helps create systems and protocols where uh, these things can't be abused like this. Um, you know, regardless of, of, you know, the scientific nature or, or, or political nature of like COVID, there's a lot of aspects of, of the, it's called the um, compliance or on the other side of it, the lack of compliance of COVID restrictions and rules and regulations and fighting that happened politically that, you know, I'm glad we live in a country where some people, regardless of how crazy they seem or actually were, did basically say, no, we're not doing this. Give them the middle finger and, you know, the government can go away. And if I want to get sick, I want to get sick. Like, because obviously the other end of it is, Obvious. I mean, it's in front of us. It's here. Taking advantage of that situation and using it for the total control, the total, the, the literal total command and control of the entire population of a country of over a billion people. Yeah. Like, and, and it is not a conspiracy theory that that's a thing that could happen. It's, to, it's in front of you. And, and a lot of politicians look really, really dumb after having criticized people for criticize for questioning the the, the, the science or, or or being conspiracy theorists and now months or years later they're giving statements about how they support the Chinese population their protests and the draconian policies of the Chinese government's like <laughs> really <laughs> meanwhile yeah. you guys really? were proposing things that were you know some some people let's say not all but some people were proposing things that were you know just a few sh- few steps shy of what the Chinese government ended up doing it at the same time. I will also kind of give as, as I, I do have criticisms, but I, I will give some credit to Apple uh, and others who were smart to get ahead of this idea of using your phones to track COVID and all that stuff in making sure to implement it, at least as far as we know, in a way that is privacy conscious and opt in only. Because well, in places like China, it's mandatory. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. I know where I, there's a couple things I want to go go at, but here's the thing. We were talking earlier when we were getting a cup of coffee before we went into the studio. You, you got your phone. They're tracking you. You go out of your apartment complex. You go to your store in China. You walk by somebody who has been identified as having COVID. Or and potentially having COVID. Potentially, potentially. And then what happens to you because you walk by? You get you get locked down. You get locked down. Yeah. And here's the thing: I'm going with this. You know, all these people who are screaming about Twitter and free speech 
and YouTube and free speech. And then you have all these people who lost their banking privileges because they questioned COVID stuff. You, you, you sit back and you go, well, they, they're, they're a risk to the government. They're a risk to the public. I mean, it was, it was so close to the same stuff that's going on in China. It's, it's called a slippery slope. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that nobody discusses China's these things. proven that to be the case. I mean, China always had a draconian-style government under the Communist Party, but in recent years, things have become much more relaxed, much more, I hate to use the word liberalized because it's not really what it was, but let's say um, uh, you had a lot more latitude as an individual. Um, it's not really liberal in, in, the, in the real sense of that word. Um, not like the West anyway, but, but, you know, things were kind of uh, easing the crazy policies of Mao and stuff were slowly kind of melting out because it turns out, you know, people actually like to run businesses and do things and do, and do stuff. That's not, you know, everything being commanded and controlled by, by the government. Um, but then, you know, with Xi in particular, you have this, this reversion back to the worst of the Mao, Maoist policies and, you know, they obviously implemented things and tested them and whatever. And you're right, the slippery slope is real. They're very quickly returning to a very modern version of, of, of you know, the 1960s. You know, the worst of, 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 or 50s and 60s, the worst of the Maoist uh, hellscape that existed. The number now, of people imagine? he killed is just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, but and it was also, but also shows, I mean, you know, a lot of this is not, this evil genius stuff that people think it is. Yeah. A lot of it is just, you know, one consequence following another, following another. And a lot of it is just stupidity. I mean, the classic one is in, um, is in, uh, uh under Mao. Uh, they, they, I can't remember the name, what they called it, but basically they viewed birds as pests. And so they, they made it a, a mandate that you had to go out. Each person in China had to go out and capture or flies. kill, uh, birds. Well, it, it was flies and then, and birds. And there was one other one. Um, but they had to go out and capture, kill these bugs and whatever. But not only that, you had to keep them and you had to prove them to the local person. Otherwise, you would get in trouble. Right. Um, you know, Mao wanted to industrialize. So what did they do? They went out and gathered up all the farm equipment and they melted that crappy pig iron stuff into exports that nobody wanted. And then they, because China doesn't have a lot of uh, domestic uh, metal resources like, like other places do, what happened? They didn't have the ability to manufacture their own farm tools, and then people starved to death because they made a famine because they melted down all their tools. Like so many stupid things like this, that people, you know, there is there there is a uh, there is a value to even the most insane criticism against the government, against policies and things like that. You have to be worried about that slippery slope, and you you can't have this this cult of personality and craziness you get with things that we've seen in the past couple of years. You and I have a, a, a friend who's also a client, and we don't say that very often. 99.9% uh, .9 of our clients are not friends, they're clients, but we have a couple of people here in Ocala and Tampa, and, and uh, one of our, our literally good friends has a phrase, and, it is, and he says, uh, people, they're the worst. <laughs> yes. And um one of the things that I have done recently, and I'm going to give a, a little quick little thing and we'll wrap up. When I, I have zero tolerance for stupid people anymore, I'm, I'm done. Um, you know that we've talked about it extensively. When we talk to somebody about what we do, let's say with fixed cost financial 
or anything else. Uh, let's take, for example, the law firm. Oh, yeah, yeah well, my, my lawyer does the same thing. Well, whatever. You just get to that point where you're just done. You know, technology. Oh, yeah, yeah my son's a programmer too. And what does he do? Well, he, I don't know, whatever. You, you get tired of that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's willful stupidity versus ignorance, right? Willful I mean, stupidity. Uh, you can't expect everybody to know everything, but at the same time, you have a lot of people who do, who, who just have this knee-jerk reaction because they, they're something about their own insecurity or, or an inferiority complex or something kicks in and they just they act stupid. There's, yeah, no, I have, there's no other way about it. I have no problem with people who are ignorant. People, ignorance means you don't know something. Yeah, absolutely. I have a problem with stupid. Stupid is you know what you should do or what you shouldn't do, and you do the opposite. That's, or you know you don't know something, but you cover it yeah. with you know, effectively insecurity. So I used to have several networking groups that I was involved in, and I won't name names, but like one was in the West Shore area of Tampa. The, the, you, if you said, oh, you don't have your mask on. Well, no, I don't want, I'm not doing that because it doesn't work. Oh, you're going to get everybody infected. Now, wait a minute. We're all going to, we're in the hallway wearing a mask, but when we get into the dining room, we're all taking it off to eat and we're closer together. Than, who, are, yeah. are you high? And then when you, here's where it used to be. Or are you vaccinated? No, I'm not vaccinated because I've already had it. I believe in herd immunity. Oh, you're a, what was that thing they call a spreader? You're a secret super spreader. Super spreader. Super spreader. That's, okay, stop. Don't do that. You don't or know. how about what happened to, um, in the U.S., we had this thing called uh, medical privacy. Right. But how come, like, it was one day everybody decided that you could violate your medical privacy because magic. Yeah, HIPAA laws don't apply. But, you know, here's what I've seen. This is important, and I, the point I want to make especially a lot of young women, women in her twenties and thirties were the worst, absolute worst. Sorry. I don't care if you don't like it, but during COVID they would literally scream. I can't believe they'd have the seventh grade chicken little. The world's going to end response. If you didn't have a mask on and, or, or you, you said, look, it doesn't work that way. Do the research today. You know what you're seeing? You say to somebody, well, did you get vaccinated? Yeah, I had to for work. Yeah, I had to travel on planes. I had people are going like, yeah, I had to. And it's it's a whole different response. It's like, it's well, are you gonna get boosted again? And the over overwhelming response is yes, hell no. no. And the reason for it is you understand where I'm going with it. But yeah, there's but, been this big shift. But let's analyze that for a second. The let's reason there's been the shift is very simple. Because before people believed the experts that it was going to magically stop the thing. And then there's some people out there who looked at it and analyzed it and said, hmm, based on previous things, it's unlikely that's actually going to happen. It mutates too quickly. They can't manufacture them fast enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It'll follow the so natural like, progression of all viruses. So it eventually gonna, dilutes. So you have a period of ugliness. Then you have you, you know, this, this normalization. You get some, some percentage of herd immunity, and then it starts to die down. Is it going to ever permanently go away? Probably not, but... You know, the likelihood is it's going to be very uh, uneventful beyond certain people with certain medical conditions. And so the we common should cold be, and flu continue to be a thing. Yes. Period. So so it should be, that's the course. The problem, though, is, is that scary intermediate period, uh, that initial phase in the intermediate period where you're getting to herd immunity. And it's, it's scary. Like, nobody wants to die from a terrible variant of, of this or, or, or especially people with complications. 
So, you know, if you have a medical condition and you want to wear a mask because you, you're worried about getting sick, that's one thing. But, but making it a universal policy, especially in a day and age where it's, it's, it's in the herd and most people have a herd immunity against most of the strains and all that stuff, that's dumb. Um, the, but yeah, so the reason you had this reaction that's shifted over time is because people realize that even, the, even most people now who, well, maybe not most, but, but a, large, a large percentage of them, who have had uh, one or, or many of the vaccines have had COVID, even though they had the vaccine. It's, it's blatantly obvious. The vaccine was just not as effective. And then they say, but if you hadn't had it, it would have been worse than ever. And, and then their neighbor who didn't have it, didn't get the vaccine, get, had it once and is doing just fine and dandy. Yeah. It, it, the reality is, is, was the initial assessment was, was accurate. It's not they can't manufacture and update it fast enough to catch up with the strains. Like that's just not how viral evolution works. But it's, it's a good moneymaker for. Yeah. Well, that's a subject for another day. But the point is, is that, is that that absolutely affected people's opinion on it. They were like, well, maybe the experts weren't, didn't really know everything. Eh, well maybe. And then, you know, now everybody, not everybody, but most people kind of agree that like, eh, well, eh, we did the best we could. Okay. Whatever. Of course, nobody will go back and criticize anything, and uh, much like what we talked about many, many, many uh, uh, segments ago, um, you know, when uh, when when McNamara came up with his magic plan to, oh well, if we just uh, drop enough bombs, and you know that'll that'll kill enough people or injure enough people, and then we'll magically be able to win Vietnam. Turns out that uh, that assessment from World War II was a little more accurate. Um, it's just going to create resilience against a, against a, an angry unified enemy who who's who's desperate to survive or whatever. So, um, you know, some, sometimes the number crunching and the uh, the very logical thing is 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 not the most uh, is not going to be your outcome. So. So what we do here, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, as we wrap up, we just call it the way we see it. We try to use unemotional facts and figures. We put it in a way that's a little bit humorous. Sometimes we put in some history lessons there. We kind of go deep. We went deep today. Oh, I say it's time to get out of here. What do you want to do? Done? Yeah, let's let's end it and uh, let's shorten them up for the next one and uh, kind of get on a better routine like you're talking about. You know what I did, though? I had a friend tell me that he goes for walks, long walks. He's taking my advice for, you know, getting out and loves our podcast because he's out. He I takes agree. an hour walk and he's like, I love it. So I agree. It's, it's hard to find a good podcast this long that, that is actually like interesting to listen to. You got like uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History is pretty good at that. He only releases an episode like once every six months. We do better than that. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, but hey, I, I met a couple of CPAs. I want to say this real quick. I met a couple of CPAs, uh, a gentleman near my age and his son, and I walked out of my office. I told you this. I left my wallet in my drawer, <laughs> and I was going to pick up lunch, and I went to my wallet, and I had such a sinking, sour feeling because I didn't have my, my wallet. Like, Holy crap, I never do that. Now, I wasn't carrying my gun, but I for a reason— and I, oh my God. And I, he said, eh, don't worry about it. I'll get it. He said, I should get it anyways. I invited you. He pulled out his credit card and gave it to the gal. Sure. She came back and his card got declined. Oh, no. now, so you got a guy like me and a guy like him. And he goes, what? And the people next to us started laughing. And she goes, we've had a lot of that. Uh, are you from out of town? Because we're getting a lot of that. He goes, no, I live here. She goes, I don't know. It just came back to Klein. So his son says, I got a card on me. So he paid us. So I got I to gotta, I gotta take care of them at some point in time. The folks next to us were laughing, and 
And I, they said, this was, that was great to watch. He said, the two old guys can't, can't pay their bill. <laughs> and the young guy, and they said, we've been traveling all across the country and half the places we go get declined during this time of the year. And I said, okay, why? They said, oh, credit cards, whatever their algorithms are. Yes. And I thought, oh, AI, machine, AI. Machine learning fraud detection is the bane. It's good, but it's terrible at the same time. <laughs> Uh, I saw something. Would you recent. remember when my American Express got declined yeah, and I called you and said, what the hell's going on? And I had yeah, to pull out a Wells Fargo card. And there's like, tons of weird stuff like that. What That's the something else we, we should talk about. We should, we should do an entire episode about machine learning and stuff because there's, there's a lot of anecdotes I could drag yeah. out of there. But you know, what really irks my ass is that, you know, a guy like me, I've got a, a lines of credit in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and you pull out your card and it declines on a, a $1.42 soda pop and chip thing someplace, you oh, know, yeah. I, I'm obviously exaggerating, but it's just like, yep. I, okay, I don't get it. <laughs> what, what freaking algorithm came up with that one? Oh yeah. Okay. Speaking of algorithms, I'm sure we probably hit a few. <laughs> we'll hit a few things with that. We're out of here. Hasta luego. Si mañana. Adios. like to start with a list of people I can do without. A proctologist with poor depth perception. Any woman whose hobby is breastfeeding zoo animals. A cross-eyed nun with a bullwhip and a bottle of gin. A waitress with a visible infection on her serving hand. And any man whose arm hair completely covers his wristwatch. Okay, that's enough of that. Soon you'll be able to walk into your Admiral dealer's store and confidently buy the style radio or radio phonograph you want. The selection of Admiral radios will be complete. There'll be radio phonographs with the famous Admiral exclusive features. Slide away that makes loading and unloading your record changer so easy. And the foolproof Admiral automatic record changer... There'll be consoles and table models and newly designed cabinets of fine woods and modern plastics. There'll be farm sets and portables in many styles and sizes, including the popular Admiral Bantam, the camera-type radio that operates on alternating current, direct current, or self-contained batteries. There'll be new electronic refinements and AM, FM, and shortwave reception. And now about television. Admiral's extensive research assures television receivers with true Admiral quality. So, whatever you want in radio, you'll find it in an Admiral, America's smart set. You can get a very good idea of what Admiral will offer if you're right for a free copy of the new full-colored booklet entitled It's a Promise from Admiral. Just write your name and address on a penny postcard and mail it to Admiral in care of this radio station. That's all. Just your name and address mailed to Admiral at this station. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but uh, you remain one.
bunch of people got no respect for the brain dead? sell $10,000 worth of this stock, I will personally give you, and I hope it happens. <laughs> Hello, John. How are you doing today? You mailed in my company a postcard a few weeks back requesting information on penny stocks that had huge upside potential with very little downside risk. Does that ring a bell? Okay, great. Well, reason for the call today, John, is something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. You got a minute? Name of the company, Aerotine International. It is a cutting-edge, high-tech firm out of the Midwest awaiting imminent patent approval on a next generation of radar detectors that have both huge military and civilian applications. Now, right now, John, the stock trades over the counter at 10 cents a share. And by the way, John, our analysts indicate it could go a heck of a lot higher than that. Your profit on a mere $6,000 investment would be upwards of $60,000. Jesus, that's my mortgage, man. Exactly, you could pay off your mortgage. This stock will pay off my house. John, one thing I can promise you, even in this market, is that I never ask my clients to judge me on my winners. I ask them to judge me on my losers because I have so few. And in the case of Aerotime, based on every technical factor out there, John, we are looking at a grand slam home run. Okay, let's do it. I'll do four grand. $4,000, that'd be 40,000 shares, John. Let me lock in that trade right now and get back to you with my secretary with an exact confirmation. Sound good, John? Sounds good. Great. Hey, John, thank you for your vote of confidence, and welcome to the Investor Center. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Bye-bye.